Welcome to The Big Picture, a show that takes a deep dive into the political landscape of not only America, but right here in our own backyard of Illinois. It's showtime, folks. The Big Picture is on WCPT 820. And now, here's your host, Edwin Eisendrath. What happened to Edwin Eisendrath? I hear you yell. Where is he? Be back next week. I'm Tory Ryder in for Edwin. Uh, and yes, we do uh, focus on our own backyard because it's not just our backyard. It's our front yard. It's our whole yard. It's our whole nine yards. Question for you first thing out of the box this morning. Oh, I should also tell you, we, we are going to uh, update you on the Ukraine-Russia conflict and look at a year in review. It's kind of my year in review show since I've been hanging around here so much. Uh, we'll talk about the automotive industry in review with uh, Tom the car guy, Appel. Car guy Tom, I guess. I want to get that nomenclature right. And uh, my favorite political, uh, well, how would I call her? D- dirt. Dirt Disher, CJ, columnist of Minneapolis, St. Paul, will give me the uh, political year in review from her perspective. And she always has her own perspective. Question for you. Have you ever done that, that cutting off your nose to spite your face thing? Is that, is that something you've done? I'm going to show them. I'm going to. Usually that, that happens in the form of I'm going to quit this job. I'm going to quit this job before you have another job. And there you are, having quit your job. And then what? If I were going to give the cutting off your nose to spite your face award today, I might have to give it to a group that is currently congregating in Chicago today at the Hilton Garden at McCormick Place. And I am saying this about the abandoned Biden campaign launched by some leaders of the Muslim American community. Now, I understand that what is unfolding in the territories, in Palestinian lands, depending on how you see those, I understand that what is unfolding in Gaza is horrifying. It is heartbreaking. It is, there are really no words for for how sad, tragic the loss of civilian life is in this conflict. But as you heard from the... um, the gentleman we had on perhaps this week on, on uh, Joan Esposito's show, a Muslim American, Palestinian American, uh, the, the spokesperson for the group One Voice, um, the conflict is not specifically articulated as being against civilians, but the civilians of America, the Muslim American civilians of America, in the face of this horrifying tragedy that is unfolding and which already unfolded, I should also say, in Israel. I think if you're unwilling to say that the slaughter, the sexual violence, the the beheadings, the massacre of babies, seniors, the kidnappings, if you're unwilling to say that that is also a tragedy, then I guess we don't have much to talk about. But the weird cutting off the nose thing, 
is the abandoned Biden campaign. And, and I guess I will end with this quote from the Sun-Times, or I will begin with this ending quote from the Sun-Times, more accurately, uh, from, from one of the spokespeople. We may get hurt if Trump comes into office, but the long-term benefit is showing both parties that we won't stand for this again. Uh, th- there you go. Cut your nose right off. Th- this is a man, Donald Trump, who has said such horrifying things, who has inflamed hatred against Muslims in general, Muslim Americans in particular, This is a man who has made your country of America less safe for you. Donald Trump has made your families less safe in America. And yet, instead of doing what a lot of other Democrats have to do and working within the party and working within the system, you will just, you will show everyone. Boy, oh boy, are you going to show everyone. It won't make a difference in Illinois. It might make a huge difference in Michigan. And that would be too bad because, you know that, be careful what you ask for. You know that expression, be careful what you ask for, you might get it. You want to abandon Biden? You think you're going to show the Democratic Party who's boss? Good luck with that. This will not serve you. This is not your long game. The point that you're making, that that you want the Democratic Party to be more responsive, you want to make that point? You want to make the point that you feel that that there should be a ceasefire? I'm not going to comment on that today right here, right now, because that's another matter. Outrage, your outrage, understandable. Your pain, absolutely real. No one will doubt it. But the fact that you're here in Chicago gathering people from around the country to abandon the the one guy on the ticket that we can see who's going to be on the ticket come the next presidential election, who isn't an out-and-out racist bigot hater, like, how does that help you? How does that help you? I, I, I fail to understand who's going to learn a lesson other than the very people you, you want to help. I mean, you want to you want to elect the guy just taking your position here. You, you're saying you don't care if the guy who moved the capital of Israel to Jerusalem is elected again? Does, does this make any sense to you? When you have when you have children, for example, you as a parent, and and you have a kid who wants something, and the kid is offered part of what he or she wants, and the kid carries on because they want all of it, and throws themselves on uh, on the floor, and has a huge tantrum. What do you as a parent do? You go, you know what? We're we're going to get none of this now. That's what most parents would do. You've got a kid who says, no, I don't, I don't want to share. I want all the cookies. I want all the cookies. And you say, you know, now, Anne, you can have one cookie. You have to share. No, I want all the cookies. 
the the answer from the person in power is always, you know what, I, your behavior, you get no cookies. No cookies for you. The whole idea that somehow here in Chicago, we are, we, our city is, is giving birth to a movement that is going to teach President Biden a lesson by getting Donald Trump elected is bizarro. I, I just, look, these folks are Americans, whether they were born here or naturalized here, presumably they had some kind of civics class. Presumably, there was some kind of conversation about how the two-party system works. And I want to also say that in a couple of days, I'm in for Joan Esposito, and we're also going to talk about the progressives um, who won't compromise on anything. You know, the Green Party cost Al Gore the election in Florida. They were standing on principle. They didn't like you. They were going to show everybody a lesson. And we got Bush and we got wars and we've gotten chaos in the, in the Middle East and at, at an alarmingly escalating level. And that was what your Green Party did in the state of Florida for us. Thank you very much. Every time you get folks who say, I detest where this, and you know, the awful part is, you know, who's learned this lesson very well? That when you want what you want from somebody, sometimes you have to look the other way about other things that he or she does. You know who's really learned this well? The Republicans. You watch the people who wanted the Supreme Court to become more conservative. You you interview some of the old line Republicans who wanted a more conservative Supreme Court. They knew what Donald Trump was all about. But they were playing the long game. He was going to do more of what they wanted. Than Hillary Clinton. And so they helped get him elected. Some people would say they got him elected and then they got exactly what they wanted. If the Muslim American community in America, that's why they're Americans. They're not elsewhere. If they, if they want to achieve their end goal, they've got more to work with in the Democratic Party. On top of which... The the anti-Israel crowd are all on the Democratic side. So if you help get Donald Trump elected, even your Congress people who support your cause, they got nobody to work with. They got somebody who's going to veto absolutely everything they put forward. You'll have a Republican president. You may or may not have a Republican Congress. You're definitely going to have, I'm sorry to say it, And maybe I shouldn't. I mean, there's still a shred of hope, but you're likely to have a Republican Senate and life will go worse for you. Without a doubt, on every level. And yet there you are right here in our city, waving flags and declaring war on the Democratic Party. I don't know what gets into folks. I really do not. Chicago's abandoned Biden event scheduled to coincide with the annual Muslim American Society and Islamic Circle of North America convention, which is expected to draw more than 30,000 people over the weekend. Now, we can't assume that everyone who is in town for that convention is part of the abandoned Biden movement. 
Here, here's a good one. They say some of their support, this is from the Sun-Times, they say some of their support comes from Democratic Party insiders and elected officials who have offered their backing behind the scenes, but are avoiding, quote, front-facing roles in the effort ahead of what's expected to be a Biden rematch with former Republican President Donald Trump. Why do you suppose those people aren't willing, assuming they even exist? Maybe because you're kind of twisting what they've said. Maybe because even the most pro-Palestinian congressperson, Rashida Tlaib, I would say, is the most sympathetic or, or promoter or supporter of the Palestinian cause. I don't, I don't think I'd get an argument there. I don't think even Rashida Tlaib is going to come out and say, you know, I'd rather have Donald Trump. And there is a reason for that. You don't get to choose sometimes where your help will come from. Sometimes your help comes from the, the, the place you would rather not get it. Sometimes you just wave off your help altogether. It's this lack of a spirit of compromise. And the Muslim American state, what are they calling it? Abandoned Biden. They're not the only ones doing this kind of stuff. You see this all over the place. If I can't have everything I want, well, I'll just go. It's it's who raised people to believe that they're that you don't compromise. Where does that come from? That you don't compromise. I mean, even if you detest Israel, you have to admit they've given back some land for peace under prior administrations. They've done some compromising. They've done a lot of compromising. Gave back Sinai. Made peace with Jordan. They've, they, they are willing, in, in, in particular circumstances, to do some compromising. It's weird, the whole idea that you just, you're going to wait for the perfect right solution to your problem. I don't understand I hear this sometimes from the young adults in my household. Well, this is unacceptable. Really? Well, what's your alternative? I promised Paul I'd tell him the story of the three boats. It's a, it's my favorite, it's my favorite allegory, but I think we have a a commitment to do we, can we just cruise right on here? So, okay, Paul, you're going to hear the story of the three boats now. So there's a very devout person. He lives in a small cottage on the banks of the Mississippi River, which is flooding. His town is flooding. He is a man of pure faith. I won't say which faith. Let's just say all of them. Let's say he's the perfect Christian, Muslim, Jewish, Hindu believer. Believes that God will take an active hand in his rescue. So, as the town floods... One of his neighbors comes by in a little motorboat and says, Fred, we'll just call him Fred, hop in. The waters are, are up to your front porch and they're coming up. You better get into the boat. And Fred says, you know, I am a man of extreme faith, Hindu, Muslim, Christian, Jewish, and I'm going to wait here because I believe that God will save me. So the water continues to rise and now Fred is on the second floor of his little cottage and comes now a neighbor with a, a rowboat and says, Fred, 
we got some room in our rowboat. Just climb out the window. We'll get you out of here. And Fred says, no, I, I'm a man of pure faith and I am waiting here because I know that the Almighty will save me. And the water continues to rise. And now Fred is on the roof of his house and a canoe comes by and says, Fred, just we we can scooch over here and we have a life jacket for you. Please get into the canoe. The water is rising. And Fred says, I am being tested, but I am a person of faith, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Hindu. I believe that the Almighty will save me. It would be a betrayal of I'm going to stay right here and wait to be saved by the Almighty. And the canoe leaves and the waters rise and Fred washes away and drowns. And because he's been a virtuous guy, he gets to whatever kind of afterlife you believe in where you get to hang out with God. And he shows up and there's God waiting for him. And Fred says, I don't understand this, God. I had so much to live for, family, grandchildren, and I believed in you. And I waited and I prayed and I believed that you would save me. Why? Why did you not save me? And God looks at Fred and says, I sent three boats. These folks who are at McCormick Place, like, you better be careful because Biden is one of your boats. There's your boat. You don't want to get into your boat? You don't have a whole lot of boats coming your way after the Biden boat. Trump... He's not even going to cruise by your house and offer you a seed. Trump will probably shove you right into the rising floodwaters. Trump could give a rat's patootie about what happens to you. And in point of fact, will make your lives immeasurably worse. So, welcome to Chicago. I hope you have a lovely time here. But... If you expect to interest any reasonable American, if you expect to make the Democrats of this country believe that somehow, no matter how sympathetic we may be to the devastation and the horror and the tragedy that is unfolding elsewhere in the world by abandoning the one person here who has a chance of perhaps ultimately long game making it a little better and swapping him out for a guy who really, if it were up to him, would launch the entire Muslim population of this country off a cliff. He would not. Do you think he cares? If you want to know the truth. I mean, have you no sense of history? Have you not read? Do you not recall that the first thing that Donald Trump tried to do when he got elected was close the borders in specific to Muslim people, whether they were coming to visit family or coming to study at universities or coming to teach at universities? No matter the reason, he just didn't like y'all, doesn't like you. So... Go ahead, abandon Biden. It's, uh, I don't think you're going to get the outcome that you want. But, you know, welcome to Chicago. Enjoy your time at McCormick Place. And while you're at it and you want to demonstrate your support and gather more support, be sure to riot and shut down some more small businesses who are trying to make a living. That, that always gets you points. That's been the last couple of weekends. 
I say this and it's not, it's not a feeling about one group or another. I have said this. I said this. I think I started saying these kinds of things back in the days when we were still trying to pass the Equal Rights Amendment. And the feminists would go down to Springfield and throw pig blood at the legislators and and think that that somehow was going to help their cause. People have the strangest ability to organize against their own best interests. I will never understand it. If you'd like to uh, weigh in on this, and we're not going to argue about the war right now. We're just going to argue about the best way to manage the best way to gather support for your cause, 773-763-WCPT. You can text me if you're busy going about your Saturday things, 773-763-9278. Another couple of moments I we will be uh, we will be hanging out and doing a little bit of conversing about the um, what lies ahead for Ukraine and Russia in that conflict. I want I want to just acknowledge the wonderful, bizarre future world of chat GPT. If you missed this story, um, it just came out yesterday. Michael Cohen. You remember Michael Cohen, the, the fixer for Donald Trump? who has been on house arrest, I believe, and uh, was disbarred. He's the bag man. He's the guy who dropped off money for the porn stars who had various relationships with Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could say that Donald Trump gets good lawyers, but but this guy, oh boy, th- this guy... Um, had to had to acknowledge and beg for mercy for himself and his legal team, who seem equally well equipped to practice law, um, because he filed um, he cited cases in in his appeal of his um, supervision. He he wanted to amend his supervision by the court because he's currently under court supervision, and he cited a whole bunch of cases. That would support his appeal uh, for court a change in his court supervision. There was just one little problem. None of the cases were real. They were made up by Chat GPT, and he claims that he didn't understand how Bard works and how Chat GPT works. And because he's not a lawyer anymore, he didn't know that these were fake made up cases. Fake made up cases. And he sent them off to his lawyer, who's apparently such a legal mind that he didn't check the disbarred lawyer's citations, just passed them on to the judge, who actually seems to have earned their stripes and said, you know, excuse me, how how do you appeal based on these made up cases? Whoops. We might talk a little bit more about that in in a moment or two. Let's go to Lee, who wants to talk about, and again, I'm going to be very specific here, Lee. We're talking about the abandoned Biden campaign here. Go ahead, Lee. Yes, okay. Yeah, uh, just a little background. Uh, South Africa recently filed a petition with the International Criminal Court to prosecute Lee, the Israelis Lee, for genocide. Lee, I'm going to steer you right back to the to the subject at hand. Can is there okay, something? Okay. Well, the reason I said that is because Biden is uh, criminally liable for aiding and abetting genocide because he's been sending the bombs that the Israelis used to kill the Palestinians. So he actually is up for crime. So, so, Peter Jackson's so, uh, history okay. expert so, said okay. that very same thing. Okay, Lee. So that's the reason we're saying 
abandon Biden unless he abandons Israel. Once Biden abandons Israel, Israel will have to stop. Okay, we got we got your point. The By the way, I think Israel is well prepared to go it alone. But you know, so so you made your point. I want to be really clear on this. We're just focusing this on abandoning Biden and how far that'll get you. Let's go to Steve in Chicago. Welcome, Steve, here on WCPT. Hi, Tori. Well, since you took one of my all-time favorite analogies about the boat already, I'm going to chime in with another one that's quickly becoming one of my favorites, which is political candidates are not taxi cabs. They're buses. You can't pick a candidate. You'll never find a candidate that checks every box and believes every single thing you believe. What you got to do is you got to get on the bus that's going as close as possible to what you want. If you want to get to the loop, you don't get about you don't get on an Evanston bus. You get on a Lincoln Park bus and then you walk from there. Yeah, I'm with you. And, I and love that analogy. People who, people who, yeah, it drives me crazy when people think, oh, there's this third party candidate that I totally 100% support. And that a majority of Americans will support. They always forget that in order to pick up the people on the far right or the far left, that they can do that without losing people in the middle. And that just doesn't happen. Yes, I wish our our system was different. That's the reality we're all living in right now. Thank you for that reality check. And I love your bus analogy. Uh, Mario, welcome. You're on WCPT. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike Holman. Um, I hope a Muslim person listened to this program. I am atheist. I am 74 years old and a great American that uh, this country upset me. Uh, one day I bought a car from a Muslim person. Oh, wait, wait, we're not going to wait. We're, we're not going to do any Muslim bashing here, are we? Because I will not. No, 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 no. Totally the opposite. Okay. So when this person asked me to pray in my house, I feel so humble that he pray in my house, me being an atheist. I feel so moved to tears that he prayed in my house. And that was one of the greatest experiences that I have that this gentleman pray in my house. My, my question that I have to all this uh, situation that we're living in, be careful what you're asking for. It's a lot of people over there, they try to be uh, 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 bashing the Muslims, and that's not right. That is not right. It's a lot of Judas. They're going to try to sell the, the, the Muslim people. Be careful. Yeah. They do to the, to the Spanish. They do to this to the people that speak Spanish. I, and they say the blacks are taking Okay, wait, wait, wait. Ma- Mario, are you trying to say that I'm bashing Muslims simply by saying that if you no, don't... No, no, totally, I'm, I'm no. I'm not no, missing no, your not point here. Please listen to me. No. What I'm saying is to all the Muslim people out there... Be careful. Be careful because they want to separate you from the real way that Mr. Biden is going to do the best for everyone. We live in difficult times. And a decision has to be made. And there's a lot of Judas out there. They're telling the Muslim people to go and not vote for Biden. Well, let me tell you, that's going to be the worst time in their lives. Because the only way for us to succeed is to be together. Because they try to separate us and separate us and conquer. And these are the Republicans. 
They yeah. do that to the blacks. I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you completely. Well, if, we me. have to work together on this, and I appreciate your call. It's 132. I'm Tori Ryder. In a moment, we're going to check in on the Russia-Ukraine war, and uh, I may have some more to say about uh, um Michael Cohen in a little bit, but we are going to be joined momentarily by Professor Joel Ostro, uh, who has so much insight into where things are headed in the coming year. I'm really looking forward to hearing from him and, and you will also be, I think, I think you'll have a better perspective on the year ahead in that war in a moment on WCPT. You're listening to The Big Picture with Edwin Eisentraff on WCPT 820. It is Edwin Eisendrath's show. I'm Tori Ryder in for Edwin and for Joan next week. And then everybody comes back next weekend and Joan will be back the 8th. And that is the lay of the land from here. Now, the lay of the land in Russia, Ukraine, it's uh, it's gotten way more complicated the last couple of months. So to help sort this out and give us a clearer picture of what may lie ahead, we are joined by... Professor Joel Ostro of Benedictine University. He is a political science professor. I need to say this correctly. Professor with a specialty in international uh, political conflicts. Welcome back, Dr. Ostro. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Tori. Wonderful to be on with you. I enjoy your take on this so much. So in the last few days alone, we have seen uh, the loss of a town in Ukraine that had been devastated by fighting anyway from Ukraine to Russia. The potential total loss of another Russian ship in its fleet mm-hmm. due to Ukraine's activity. Um, and, and the United States is still bogged down in uh, some sort of quagmire when it comes to sending aid. What, mm-hmm. what are you seeing from your um, uh, better perspective? I really appreciate it. And, and Tori, when you, when you reached out, you sort of framed this as, as an end of year Review. Yes. Uh, and uh, that's, I've fallen into the same uh, quagmire that much of the media and analysis has, which is sort of the, the way we cover politics in this country, unfortunately, uh, like a sporting event. Um, and it is important to step back. Uh, a lot of the frustration in the West and even articulated in recent days uh, by U.S. military and political officials and European, for that matter, um, Hints at frustration that the counteroffensive uh, that began, uh, well, it really began in the summer, Ukraine's counteroffensive to try and reclaim its territory, didn't achieve much. Um, and that is having ripple effects on uh, our own uh, political debates about continuing funding and supporting Ukraine. Yes. Uh, and the media has presented uh, the whole story pretty continually in that in that vein. And uh, I'd like to push back against that. Um, given that uh, the provision of modern tanks, which we still have not provided all of the uh, M1 tanks that we, we promised uh, and, and the similar versions from Britain and Germany, uh, we have provided a grand total of, let me count, oh, yes, zero F-16 fighter planes that Ukraine has been asking for since the beginning of the war. Um, in 2023, I believe a total of four additional Patriot missile batteries were sent uh, and something like six HIMARS uh, rocket systems. Um, we have basically 
provided munitions for existing launchers that Ukraine has without giving them anything additional. And we expected a counteroffensive by Ukraine under those conditions to enable them to reclaim territory. That's insanity. So let's look at it differently. Uh, Ukraine has lost virtually no additional territory. Uh, some very little gains by Russia on the east very recently. But Russia, uh, Ukraine has made advances in the south to further protect major uh, cities there and crossed the Dnieper River in a couple of areas and established uh, sort of beachheads, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, to protect against Russian advances further. Uh, Russia has lost 350,000 or so troops since the beginning of the war, including 90% of the initial forces sent into Ukraine. They've lost thousands of tanks and even more armed vehicles. Uh, Ukraine has destroyed some 20% of Russia's Black Sea fleet. I could go on and on. Well, Russia is dependent. Well, Russia is dependent now on Iranian and North Korean munitions. Yes. So okay. Ukraine is it, Ukraine is set to make advances in the coming year if they get the support that they're asking so for. So I um I'm very interested to hear these numbers. I didn't mm -hmm. I mean I I will ask you some more about the F16s in, in a minute. Mm -hmm. uh, sure. but one of the things to your point about the the US seemingly in the media uh being impatient with Ukraine. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't mm -hmm. seem to be very patient about Anything, anything ever right ever <laughs> um and so the only way you can typically get americans to do anything for any reason over the long term i'm sorry to say is to sort of repackage yep. it in in small bites and and sometimes lie to the people but mm -hmm. i i do want to say that we are seeing in the media uh some explanation for some of the reluctance um as being from our high-level U.S. military being annoyed that Ukraine didn't pursue the strategy that the United States advised. Uh, and because they didn't do it the way we told them to do it, now we're annoyed uh, because they didn't take our great advice. Can you speak to that at all? Um, yeah, the, the NATO has advised Ukraine uh, to reinforce defensive positions uh, which would essentially mean uh, ceding the territory uh, that Russia has gained. Uh, and the reason for that militarily uh, was because uh, they thought uh, that Ukraine would lose a lot of more territory because of the delays in providing advanced um, weaponry. What Ukraine has shown, uh, to push back against that, is that that they did not lose significantly more territory and made some substantial gains significantly eroded Russia's uh, capacity to a point where if they get the weapons they want, they could make real advances. So, so um, to, I guess I would put it that, that Ukraine's uh, successes this year don't show in terms of reclaimed territory, uh, and Ukraine has certainly suffered large personnel losses itself, um, particularly the Massive civilian pain inflicted by Russia's criminal, uh, you know, war crimes uh, in their strategy, uh, and yet uh, they show strength uh, and, and real promise. So, um, I guess it just depends on on which set of lenses you want to put on to look at the existing situation. 
So that, um, that's an interesting analysis, which is that hmm. even though the United States says, well, see, we were right, you should have concentrated your effort in one place or another and, and ceded the, the other areas to Russia. Uh, so it, even so, that wouldn't necessarily have been an, uh, a helpful strategy. They did better. It would have been destructive. Doing Sorry, it, sorry to interrupt. It w- yeah, it would have been way. destructive because now, now Ukraine's in a position, they've weakened Russia without ceding that territory while continuing to contest it. They haven't lost more, and they could really make advances uh, if they get the, the support that, that they've been asking for. So, so, so in, in fact, Ukraine has proved... Uh, the United States and NATO wrong in their assessment. Okay, uh, I'm. I'm. I, this is why you're here to explain this stuff to, to me and and to WCPT folks who are, are listening. So the year in review, um, yeah. looking at it from the the Russian perspective, mm. do they care about how many people they've lost, and do they stand a, a reasonable chance of? continuing the kind of support that they've been getting uh, from their international allies? On the latter, it seems uh, that the answer to that is yes. Um, Ukraine destroyed uh, just a couple days ago uh, a ship called the Novocherkask, which is uh, a landing vessel, which means it it carries military supplies. Apparently, uh, there were thousands of Iranian uh, drones, Shahed drones, and, and other rockets, uh, munitions on that ship. That and the reason the explosions and the fires were so dramatic for anyone who saw the video was uh, the destruction of, of all of those um, those items um, and the explosions uh, resulting from that. Um, and we can see that. Uh, we've heard, uh, I think it was in August or September, when Ukraine destroyed uh, the Moskva. That was a, a, an a, a, a aircraft carrier, I believe, yes. uh, the main flagship in the Black Sea Fleet. Yep. Uh, but what we haven't heard about many of the other vessels that Ukraine has destroyed, what, what the Ukrainian military has targeted in the Black Sea Fleet of Russia were the ships that launch the cruise missiles uh, that Russia uses to aim at apartment buildings and hospitals and, and the like. Um, and we know that this has been successful because in the recent waves of attacks, Russia's had to use uh, fighter planes, and Ukraine has shot down a number of those. You might remember last week reports of, I think it was six or seven fighter planes shot down. So having taken out so many of the ships, taken out all of these armed personnel carriers and tanks, um, if they're now able to shoot down some planes, if they get the F-16s, there's a real prospect that Ukraine could uh, gain air dominance, and, and that would be the real game changer uh, in this war. Who would be replacing Russia's warplanes if they need them and can't make them themselves fast enough? Uh, the same folks who have replaced their tanks and armed personnel carriers. So. Uh, that, that, that state is named none. <laughs> I I was going to say I'm I'm feeling like a moron. I can't think of who's doing that. Yep. I'm, I'm glad I'm glad to hear that I couldn't mm. think of it for a reason. So Right. Good. It's always nice to know that if I'm losing my brain, it's it's for a good reason. <laughs> so 
They can't get more of these planes and tanks unless they make them themselves. Over the past year, what about their capacity, Russia's capacity to manufacture these weapons of war? Uh, as we review the year, has, have they increased their capability to make these armaments in Russia, or are they slowing down? What's the status of that? They seem to have had uh, pretty good luck at uh, uh, ramping up their, their military production of uh, medium-range rockets, uh, I think some cruise missiles, but um, but with much less guidance capacity than than had been the case prior because of the uh, sanctions against um, high-tech uh, computer uh, computerized components. Uh, so their guidance ability is is down. Uh, much more indiscriminate weapons, but they were already using indiscriminate targeting means anyway. So I don't think that that's really a big problem for them because they don't care what they hit in Ukraine as long as they hit something. Oh my uh, so they have been able to produce a lot of munitions, but but the what Ukraine cares about is destroying uh, the launchers for those munitions, and and the more they do that, the, the you know the the more irrelevant the rockets become, uh, and and. Uh, what Russia has not been able to do is is to build the the launcher capacities, tanks and and um, and uh, other kinds of uh, rocket launcher systems. So you know, I, I never thought, and this gonna I'm gonna date myself here, but I never thought that Tom Lehrer's songs would would once again be completely relevant. But I, I keep thinking of that lyric, once the rockets go up, who cares where they come down? That's not my department, says Werner von Braun. Uh, and, yeah. and, and it is very um, clear that it, the more people they kill, the, the happier they seem to be. And, and the more the Russian populace feels like it's winning. So let's turn to... Um, that year in review uh, for the for the soldiers and the families of the soldiers and the prisoners and their families. What's your assessment of how that is pl- played out over 2023 in Russia from the beginning to the end of the year? Well, I have been frustrated since really uh, late February of 2022 when the war began at at the lack of outrage uh, among the Russian population over this invasion and war, um, and then have become somewhat despondent as, as that seeming indifference to or even support for the war uh, has continued. Um, the Kremlin's propaganda machine uh, has been effective, but more effective has been uh, Putin's uh, reign of, of by, you know, rule by fear, Yes, uh, similar to the old uh, Soviet rule, maintain, maintaining order through fear. Uh, there seem to be some cracks in that, and um, as, as I have uh, started to predict over the summer, at least hope, uh, based on the history of uh, Russia's reaction to wide-scale losses in war, as the numbers have piled up, uh, you've started to see particularly um, a sort of re-emergence of the old uh, a committee of what was it called? The Committee of Soldiers' Mothers. I don't have it right, but uh, that was an organization, uh, uh, an informal group that had emerged during the Soviet period in opposition to the Afghanistan invasion of the 70s and 80s, um, which uh, resulted in uh, one tenth the number of losses of 
Soviet citizens as this war uh, over a decade as this war has already claimed uh, in, in in just shy of two years uh, and and those protests are credited with um, not only the rise of Gorbachev and, and the withdrawal from Afghanistan, but ultimately um, the emergence of opposition to communist rule and, and the collapse of Soviet power. So this has not happened yet, but there are some signs now that that families are beginning to uh, to express opposition and, and a demand to an end. Well, but it's very let, little stuff. Let me poke around in that. In the first place, mm-hmm. I, I, I as as sad as I feel about the lack of a of a cohesive protest movement in Russia. I really, when you say that Putin rules by fear, that's a very real fear. And the combination of the fear and propaganda, I I almost, I mean, I don't think Russia is some sort of bloodthirsty nation rolling around in joy at the massacre. I think they really don't see it. Am I wrong about that? Are they really, uh, do they actually have access to, to some sort of neutral information or and they're just ignoring it or is it true that Putin has really managed to choke off the flow of any information other than what he wants uh, his uh, nation to see uh, as you as you're asking Tori uh, think about it this way uh, what was it some 3400 people died in the Twin Towers on 911 uh, what percentage of Americans either know somebody or know somebody who knows somebody who died in the towers. It's a pretty large percent. Yes. So that's like thirty four hundred people in a population Russian that's roughly the same as ours. So three hundred and fifty thousand Russian soldiers okay. have died or been maimed in this war. I, I I I'm reminded that at the beginning of the war anyway, uh, we mm-hmm. saw footage of the Russians burying their dead at the battlefield and and the story was mm-hmm. that they weren't they weren't saying to the families where their loved ones were they weren't telling them that they had died correct they were mm-hmm. lying are they still i mean is it possible that the that the families really still think their loved ones are alive and fighting on and and let me um also throw my lot in with yours that i still remember that what changed the experience of america around the Vietnam War was was the the coffins, the flag draped coffins coming back, because as anyone right. in talk radio can tell you, the way that mm-hmm. somebody's opinion on something changes is when they have what we call a personal connection to the topic. When it's your Correct. loved one who comes back in in a coffin, you might reconsider. But if you never get your loved one back, and if you're never shown the the footage of the carnage at the battlefield. Um, and if you're constantly fed a stream of hokum about the righteousness of the cause and the Nazification of Ukraine, if it's almost like here people have no civics classes anymore and they don't really understand a lot of the time that this isn't about the, the most votes getting their way in everything. It's about compromise and respecting the rights of the minority. Nobody understands that here. Well, nobody, almost nobody anymore. And in Russia, if Correct. you don't have the education or the capacity or the information, I agree with you if the bodies were actually coming home. But are they coming home? Yeah. Uh, and if they're not coming home at this point, the families know they haven't heard from Volodya for a long time. Uh, and Volodya served with people who uh, uh, who came back injured and can contact Volodya's parents. Um, again, 350,000 
uh, dead and maimed. Um, there isn't a person in Russia that uh, that that uh, doesn't either have a neighbor or a family member uh, affected by that. So then um, that leaves it's, it's, it's not statistically impossible. So, so, so then that everybody knows their belief that the cause is righteous and just and worth the sacrifice. And or, or the, the fallacy of that is being exposed to her, like it, that, that that perception has to be changing. Or, or even if they still believe that it was righteous, which I don't I, – I'm still loath to, to actually believe that, um, but, but perhaps that's naive – uh, they know it's failing, and that's that's the more critical point for Ukraine. Is uh, if a critical mass of, of Russians realizes that this regime has failed, uh, and that this war is failing, uh, they'll demand an end, even if they think it was a good idea at the beginning. Okay, because so, failing means death. So, so now we have. I think have we have we sort of wrapped up twenty twenty three. I if if we haven't, please uh, continue. But looking ahead, um, mm-hmm. it sounds like you you feel that if the United States can supply what it has promised, mm-hmm. and perhaps a, a little bit more of what Ukraine is requesting, and makes an honest assessment of the information as you've just relayed it to us. Um, Ukraine will will emerge in the next how long is is next year enough time or or what is the timeline and what is the the scenario as you see it? Well, uh, the good news is is that uh, the Netherlands promised a week ago that uh, they would be delivering, I believe it was up to sixteen f sixteen planes uh, to Ukraine. Um, Ukrainian pilots have finished training in the United uh, in Denmark. I'm sorry, not in the UK. Uh, over the last week, um, they promised those by the end of this past week, meaning yesterday, uh, and things have been very quiet about it since. So I would imagine that Ukraine has received its first deliveries of F-16s uh, when they will be used in battle. Is is anybody's guess? Uh, I would expect, though, based on how Ukraine has prosecuted prosecuted this war from the beginning that it will come as a surprise to the Russians, as will the targets, um, and and possibly a surprise to uh, anyone outside of the upper echelons of of ours and and our military and and, uh, the NATO uh, higher command. How how far? Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. uh, And and I think those successes will, will hopefully turn the tide a little bit. That's number one. The, the number two is the what is obviously the Biden administration's response to the Republican Party's intransigence and, and really pro-Russia attitude again uh, to moving towards uh, the unprecedented uh, act of seizing Russia's financial assets and turning them over to supporting Ukraine. Uh, there are some uh, roughly $400 billion of Russian assets uh, in Western uh, banks. Uh, those have been frozen. Not if to we seize them. Beautiful apartments in New York City that would be. Yeah. Yeah. Love yeah. one of those. So it, I, uh, I'm interrupting. Questionable under international law. Yeah. Questionable under international law, but it's an end around uh, that 
Republicans would probably support because that really has authoritarian overtones. It's not how we want to be doing things. It's yeah. not how we ought to be doing things. It's in line with how uh, the Republican Party will do things if, God forbid, uh, they reclaim control of the White House and the Congress. But that's a whole other conversation. Yes, that's another conversation. And we have one minute left. So quickly, <laughs> I would like to ask you, um, yeah. how far, once they get these planes and these armaments, how far into Russia do you imagine Ukraine would be willing to strike? Oh, they're not going to strike in Russia that they they can't, that their their priority is to take out Russian installations and occupied Ukrainian territory to destroy as many military facilities, energy infrastructure, uh, command and control centers as possible. And and if they get a critical mass of these weapons, uh, that's a real possibility. Uh, and, and they might wait out. Uh, if Russia continues to fly their own fighter planes, they might wait it out to try and shoot down more of those to make those attacks on Russian-held Ukrainian territory more successful. Well, we'll leave it we'll there, see. but I thank you. I think you've given us a – we've got a picture now, would you not say? Wait, wait. I hope so. Okay. Well, thank you. I, I wanted. I wanted. It should be more hopeful than than has been presented in the the mass media and by our own well, military we're, experts we're gonna over the to, last year. We're going to have to leave it there. But but I, I thank great. you. I think we've got it. It's just about two o'clock. Tory Ryder for Edwin Eisendraft. You're listening to the Big Picture with Edwin Eisendraft on WCPT eight twenty. 204, it is Edwin Eisendraft show. I am Tory Ryder. In for Edwin Eisendraft. He comes back next Saturday. Uh, also, in this coming week, starting on the 2nd, that's uh, after New Year's Day, when you'll have a best of Joan Esposito. And I will be here uh, Tuesday through Friday. We are going to be joined in a moment by one of my favorite pundits, CJ, of the Twin Cities. I do want to share some texts that came in uh, about uh, the Ukraine war, uh, other wars we are prosecuting at the moment. This from Beth. Me thinks something's fishy at the top in Russia, and the fish appears to have a name. Um, those are the death rumors after the bizarre speech. I'll have to look at that. That came from Times of India. I'm going to have to look. I, I I somehow missed this rumor. Love rumors, though. Have to check those out. And I'll check them out with CJ, too, because she will know many. Uh, going now to Henry. Uh, and he wanted to speak uh, to the subject of the um, folks coming to Chicago to... Um, to protest Joe Biden and say they're going to throw their lot. They don't know where, but Trump would be better for them. These are the the Muslims who are launching the abandoned Biden campaign here in Chicago this weekend. Uh, switching from speaking of switching from the Democratic to the Republicans, I remember the story of the Hispanic restaurant owner who employed people, built up a business, was undocumented, and his wife was Mexican American. And when Trump came into office and ICE came for the people who were not legal residents, the businessman who'd opened up a storefront restaurant didn't do any crimes was sent back. So much for using and trusting the Trump administration. Uh, the man's wife said she voted for Trump and didn't think they'd ever go after my husband. <laughs> yeah, that's there you go. Yeah, they know how you vote. <laughs> of course they do. They, they, and there's Trump going, wait a minute, wait a minute. That that woman's husband, uh, That don't deport him. She voted for me. Uh, no. And this, 
Well, we're just getting some some interesting thoughts about the the switching of the parties. We'll we'll get to that. Let's go to CJ and make her welcome. Um, CJ, I could not end this year on the air without hearing from you about uh, your thoughts of the wackiest political activity year past, and uh, and looking forward. You're just giggling. It had to have been great. Welcome. How are you doing? I'm okay. Um, well, yeah, what do you make of that woman who thought, well, I voted for Trump. I didn't think he'd go after my undocumented husband. Does that that does that does track for what you're seeing for the Trump administration? She got what she deserved. He is an ingrate. And of course he's going to do that. What do you make of the of the Muslim uh, the Muslim effort now to abandon Biden? I don't know if you heard the last hour. They're having a convention in Chicago, and the abandoned <laughs> Biden uh, and and the, one of the leaders is from the University of Minnesota. He's a professor from the University of Minnesota, saying that you know we're, we're going to show everybody we're abandoning Biden, um, and and even if we get Trump, at least they'll know where we stand. Okay, that's true. That's what he does not care about you. <laughs> so if you uh, that that is a, uh, a typical cutting off your nose to spite your face. <laughs> yes, that was that was pretty much the the topic as we uh, introduced it. And he's from your state I, of I Minnesota. Guess, yeah, well, you know, and, and, and we have a fair amount of embarrassment here in Minnesota. <laughs> well, we you sent one of your more embarrassing professors down here to talk to us. Yeah, you know, I normally think that uh, the problems with America are a failure of the um, uh, K-12 through education system. But clearly we've got some failures higher up than that. (laughs) Yes, yes, we do. So uh, speaking of people who are thinking of cutting off their noses to spite their faces, we have a a fair number of um, minority and underrepresented groups and disadvantaged groups who do not feel quite reasonably that the playing field is leveling off fast enough. And they are going to express their dissatisfaction one more time by abandoning Biden. And I I would love your take on that. I don't I don't understand uh, what these people are reading. I don't understand how these people think. I, 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 I can't understand these people. I mean, if someone could, you know, this is like um, a chicken voting for Colonel Sanders. Uh, uh, you know, he, General, Colonel Sanders has not been very good for chickens. So I don't think I vote for him. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, but these, is is Kamala not speaking to this uh, constituency? I mean, it seems to me that she's out there uh, doing her level best to explain to people who don't seem to be who seem to be really intent on cutting off their noses. No matter what you do, they're sharpening their knives right now. Did, did they not yes. listen to her? I know that she is uh, has been busy on the college campuses. She's yes, been, she's been she's been working that. And I, was that where she was the other night? Because I missed her on the Kennedy Center Honors, and, you know, the, the second gentleman was there by himself, and she wasn't there. And I was thinking, was she sick during this period? Or she was, she, she clearly was, was, had something important to do if she would have been there. Yeah. Or maybe she shouldn't have been. Was she not supposed to be there because the president was there? I don't know. Um, I can't remember from year to year. I just enjoy that program so much. It is uh, wonderful. I think that uh, people, we are just 
getting more stupid in America. And it's, it's, it's very troublesome to me that we don't, that, that people are not better critical thinkers. They're not critical thinkers. They, there's, there's nothing, uh, the former guy does not care about Muslims. The former guy does not care about anybody who looks like me. The former guy does not care about women. He's illustrated that through. Uh, oh, his, oh his wait, wait, wait. He, he likes women. He likes to grab them by their <laughs> private part. He's very happy to, to have women around. He likes, he likes them temporarily. There you he go. He likes them for, uh, uh, you know, a short period of time. On a rotating yeah, basis. On a, on a rotating, uh, rotating basis. basis. And did you know that um, um, Melania was not in the family picture that was taken for Christmas? Did no, I did not know that. I did not. She was absent. She was absent, and I was just—I uh, was just looking at the picture, and I was trying to. I—I I, I guess Baron was there. I guess he's the guy in the yellow tie. But uh, and nobody—they really tried to make it. I think they tried to complicate it because Tiffany's husband wasn't standing near her. So there you are wondering, well, who's the guy who looks like William Shatner standing next to Tiffany? Because that's not her husband. And J- Donald Jr.'s children weren't there. They were included with their mother, who uh, I guess who didn't allow them to be in that picture. Uh, and then it was, uh, but, but, but the most important thing is Melania was not in the family picture. They say she was with her mother, who is ailing. Okay, well, her mother, it it could be, but it's hard to imagine since they have moved her family around like a a suitcase on wheels so that this family is within spitting distance of wherever the former first family resides. It's hard to believe that she couldn't just duck out for a minute for hair, makeup, fashion, and a quick photo shoot uh, unless her mother... I don't think her parents, I I don't think her parents moved to Florida. Really? I think that it's my understanding that they're still in Maryland, the Maryland area. Ah, see, you, this is why we have you, because you know where all the players are located. So that would make sense yeah. then. If if her mother is really ill uh, and she can't get away, um, although with, with chat, GPT, and AI, I think they should have at least put in right. a fake Melania. <laughs> it's not too hard right. to do. Right. I don't know why they didn't do that. That would have been so uh, that such a good use of that, and 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 would have cut down all this conversation. But she hasn't been seen much since he left office. Yeah, you I, know, she's kind of she's kind of disappeared. Well, she 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 wasn't seen too often while he was in office. She was sort of <laughs> the the vanishing bride. She was almost I I was thinking the runaway bride. But you know, here's the thing: when you are a paid for hire, no matter how unpleasant right. the task, you just have to take your clothes off and do it. And so, uh, <laughs> that's that's. That she signed the deal, and she's going to show up and do what she has to do. But presumably, uh, Donald Trump's brilliant lawyers didn't negotiate the part about showing up for the family Christmas photo, and so she didn't have no, to. No, they didn't. Yeah, they should no, have they thought didn't. of that. No, that there's one yeah. they overlooked. But as we were talking about Michael Cohen, who was fooled by a chat GPT, um, he doesn't. The the former president doesn't always hire the very finest legal representation or even keep them around as as bagmen. What were some of the other uh, great political stories from where you sat this year? Well, I was pleased that, uh, that Dean Phillips did not make 
the list of any top political stories anywhere I looked. So that, you know, so everybody is paying him the proper amount of attention. Um, I, um, the, you know, Trump becoming the first president to face criminal charges. I mean, <laughs> you, you can't beat that. And he has so many cases against him. There's no way in the world he can beat all of them. Which is why he's running for office, so that he can see, so that he can uh, get rid of some of them if he becomes reelected. You know, it just goes to show, um, if he had to pay for these lawyers himself, um, it might have been a whole different scenario. But that whole thing about other people's money—it just makes so many things possible. Um, you're so willing yes, to yes, gamble yes. with other people's money. You're so much more willing to spend frivolously with other people's money. What do you suppose the former president would have done if he didn't have a giant pack that was funding all of these various legal uh, proceedings that he's defending himself against? Once again, you have to question the intellect of the people who continue to contribute to that. But he would have uh, he would have pleaded guilty to something by now. You think? He would have had no choice. I, I he seem have any to money. feel, well, he doesn't have any money. There's just this part of me that imagines that the minute he has to say the word guilty, I mean, have you ever been with a guy or a, who just can never, ever, ever, ever admit that he's wrong? And you sort of wonder if they actually had to say the words, I'm, I'm sorry, I was wrong, that they would... Right. Explode like like a little tiny pile of dust and ashes. Uh, something would happen. There's like some self destruct switch. Do you do you think that maybe if Donald Trump ever has to say the words guilty, that he would physically explode like something out of the cover of the Weekly World News? I think that uh, he. he I think he's, he has. That's one of his. That's that's one of his greatest character flaws. He never apologizes for anything. It's anything significant, right? <laughs> he might apologize a little bit to, to Melania every now and then for. Oh, you know, I was sorry. I was with that porn star right after you had Baron, but uh, he never apologizes. For it. And he and he doesn't do it publicly. He's not a good public apolo- apologist at all. Yeah, that would probably be – you would need AI and chat GPT to get Donald Trump on a screen somewhere ap- apologizing for something. What about what about the Kennedy campaign? From where you sit, how, how's that looking? I don't know. I think that, you know, everybody's got crazy family members, and this is the crazy Kennedy. And I think that uh, he reveals himself almost every time he opens his mouth and becomes less charming – and uh, he, he has his own money to throw at this campaign, of course. So he can, he can, he can you know, urinate away that money as, as he will. But I think that uh, I think he's going to become less appealing the more we see him, as is the case with Cornell West. Although you know, Cornell went out and got a haircut. I was kind of interested. Really? That. You know, he he's on TV. He's looking. I saw a picture of him the other day, and I thought. He's been near a barber. Wow. I can't believe it. That's that. amazing. I, we and, were... and, 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 and that trimmed up the facial hairs because he looks kind of wild. He looks, you know, he looks like you're a crazy uncle at the Thanksgiving dinner. He does. And so, you know, he, he does not look what we would consider to be presidential. That That's for darn sure. I was just this morning. You came, you and this topic came up at uh, my coffee table this morning where I just thought if, I wonder what 
Kamala says at her breakfast table about the Cornell West campaign? Because, <laughs> I mean, he's just siphoning votes away from Biden-Harris. And, and Harris's best shot at becoming president, of course, is to be vice president again. And she's just got to be... Uh, the spousal unit said they better not ever get in the same room. She'll punch him in the face. You, I, <laughs> I think she's got too much class to punch him in the face, but I can see her getting in his face. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I mean, if if anybody I, I at the end of the year, I always do a mental recap of if it were legal to hire a hit person, who would be most likely to be hiring a hit person? And and. <laughs> In my mind, the most likely to hire a hitman, I will just go with that gender because I don't know too many hit women outside of television shows. Um, but the, but the person most likely to hire a hit person this year would be Kamala Harris for Cornell West because I, I mean, if she had a heart condition, by now she would be hospitalized by the fact that that guy is dancing on her wheelhouse. That, that's just not. Okay, and it's so disrespectful of her. What what is he thinking? Yes. Do you suppose? Oh, uh, he's just uh, he's just shooking it. Uh, well, oops, I didn't want to say that. Uh, he's just uh, brothering. You know, you know, brother Biden is just wrong. He doesn't care about poor people, and I care about poor people. And you know, and 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 not giving Biden credit for anything or Kamala care for anything, but. I don't want you talking about Kamala being president. We just let's. I don't think that's ever going to happen. No. Let's just see if we get next. No. 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 I think this country is too sexist and too racist to ever vote for a black woman (sighs) to be uh, president. Well, we'll. I just do. I hope we get to find that out, and and that there's and, and that she's not up against someone who would be. On the other side, just a total disaster. But we'll see. We'll we'll you just know, we'll you're see. About Nikki. You're now, from, yeah. <laughs> from your neck of the woods, let's talk a little Tommy mm-hmm. Tuberville from from your the general south from whence you hail. Did you follow yeah. uh, that that uh, story of and and also I think you have some military people in your family. Is that correct? Do I have that wrong or right? Or do you, yeah, was no, there, no, I, I, I don't come from a military. Family. It just seems like. I came from a military family because of all the places we lived. Ah. <laughs> but we lived a lot of places because my daddy was getting his PhD Her dad, and leaving school to earn money to go back. And so it just seemed like... Well, no, I knew family. I knew you had a, an academic family. That much I knew. I don't know why I thought there was some nephew or something. I guess I had that wrong. Anyway, so, uh-huh. so you're from that neck of the woods originally. Yes, I... My my favorite part about the Tommy Tuberville story was that every time I uh, would get really, really frustrated with him, Amy Klobuchar launched another beautiful quote at him or did something behind the was working behind the scenes to deal with him. He is a complete jackass. I went to I went to high school in Alabama. I went to tenth, eleventh, and twelfth grade in Alabama, and my mother. Uh, see, she'll seems to you know she'll say, oh, do you know so and so and so and so? I say, no, I don't know them. I spent basically three years here. I went to college. I went to graduate school. I went to work. Okay, right, right. <laughs> uh, but but so I so I, I paid close attention to the uh, politics in Alabama. And the the amazing thing about Tommy Tuberville, and this is this is the thing about racists, real diehard racists, is that no matter how much exposure they have to black people, it doesn't change them. You would have thought that all of that exposure Tommy Tuberville had to those black 
kids that he was coaching and rah-rahing at Auburn would have in some way engendered something that was uh, a, an affection for uh, somebody. I mean, uh, Lyndon Johnson is an example of that. He grew up poor around all these poor black people. So when he became president, he decided, you know what, they really do have it worse than I do. So maybe I should do a, a great society, you know, some things along that line. Yeah. Tommy Tuckman was completely unaffected. He was com- he, 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 he thinks nothing of black people. And the, I believe that the, the reason they did, he didn't want to give the um, uh, the promotions he was he was holding up the things within the in the, in the military is because of Lloyd Austin's color and he and some and the black generals there were black generals being elevated I believe that's what it was I believe that if Lloyd Austin had been a white guy Tommy Tuberville never would have done this. I would not have thought of that angle. I just really thought it was this mania about abortion. But that's a really interesting take on that, that it's really racism that is behind all of this. Wow. Yes. Wow. I just wish, you know, when it comes down to spying, I so wish that I could secretly mic and film Lindsey Graham because... He he's the one, I believe, of all of our senators who says the most different things in public from what he says in private. I mean, in private, I have to imagine that we could not play on a publicly aired radio station five out of every 10 words that would come out of Senator Graham's mouth if you said to him, Tommy Tuberville. I think it would just be so profane. There would be no way we could air any of it. It would just be one long beep. Lindsey Graham has to hate that guy's guts. Don't you think? I don't think so. I think that they're birds of a feather. Really? I, say, I do think that Lindsey Graham is is just is super. Uh, uh, he's too. So he's super two faced. Because what did he say about Trump when Trump was running? Oh he man! Said all these negative things about Trump. Oh man! And then after Trump was elected, he couldn't golf with them enough. It's, no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm, I'm not fooled by Lindsey Graham at all. No. Huh. You he think he's, yeah, I think they're I, two of a yeah, kind? Yeah. That's interesting. Because I, I think that Lindsay, I mean, and I've said this to you before. I think it's amazing the Republican um, cohort there that, and anyone who who has had a, a spinal injury should be highly encouraged by seeing what kind of a career you can have with no spine at all. Um, and Lindsey Graham would be the, the sock puppet of all time. Uh, just whatever they, they, whatever's good for him is what comes right out of his mouth. But there is part of me, and, and here we disagree. There's part of me that believes that he actually has some real opinions. We're just never actually going to hear them. Um, and, and it sounds to me like you think his opinions are the same as Tuberville's, but I, I would say, his opinion, his core belief, and, and in this he is just like Donald Trump. And this is why I didn't really believe him when he said that, you know, what he first said he about Trump, about how duplicitous and how unworthy and all the stuff he said originally. Uh, because I believe that what, what Lindsey Graham is, is essentially what Donald Trump is, which is the gospel of whatever's good for me. Um, and, and, and in that, I think that he's more like Trump than like Tuberville. But you say no. Uh, is he more like Trump or more like Trump? They they say 
Well, the, the amazing thing to me is they don't seem to, to know when they're saying the opposite of what they have said. They don't, they don't seem to recognize their inconsistencies. Huh. And, they, and, they, and they don't have any interest in, in justifying them. They don't think that they, they you know, no, 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 no. That, that never, that, you know, that they, they, they don't, they, they don't really, they don't have core values because they are spineless. Huh. It's interesting. It, it, there, there does seem to be, there, back in the old days of technology, when we used reel-to-reel tape recorders, uh, we all learned that the tape heads went as follows. Erase, record, play. And right. you you could erase, record, play. But there was a way that you could set a function so that you could loop. This was this was old school tape delay. Now we have a digital delay. But in the old days, if you did a talk show and you didn't have a fancy digital delay, what you did was you took two reel to reel tape recorders and you and you set them near each other and you had a piece of tape that went around so that it recorded. It played and then it looped all the way around and was immediately erased so that you only had to use the one piece of tape. And if you needed to delete something that someone had said on the air, you could just cut that tape and you would lose whatever hadn't been uh, played yet, if that makes sense. So in a weird way, Trump and Lindsey Graham have a sort of a a self-recording, self-erasing tape loop is how you're describing it. They say it, and then before it comes around to bite them in the rear, it erases so that all you ever get is what they just now said and maybe seven seconds ago. Is that what you're explaining to me? Yes, and the public... Is, is likes that method. They, 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 they like that technology. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see that. I could see that. We're going to pause for a moment, and then we're going to do, I want to talk about the women, the women in a minute, okay. uh, with, with okay. CJ, a political pundit, and I, one of my favorite gossip columnists. You can find her on, uh, you know what was formerly known as Twitter, uh, under at Dish Central. That's where you'll find her, and she's worth following. More in a moment. It is 29 minutes after 2 o'clock. Edwin Eisendrath's show. I'm Tori Ryder. Uh, we are live, local, and progressive. You're listening to The Big Picture with Edwin Eisendrath on WCPT 820. Tory Ryder in for Edwin Eisendrath. Paul at the controls. Thanks to Julia Shu who helps book the show. But I did this all by myself. I brought you my friend, CJ, who is one of my favorite pundits, possibly my favorite pundit, and a wonderful gossip columnist formerly in the Twin Cities. That is, she's still in the Twin Cities, formerly gossip columnist, but you can get her take on Dish Central if you follow the muskiness of X. Um, so, CJ, we're doing our year in review, and I wanted to ask you about the notable stories about political women. Uh, where would you like to start? I, I have a few. Um, yes. And any of yours you want to bring to light other than Kamala? We've already spoken of her. Yeah. Well, I'm just I'm the, the ones we lost this year. Uh, I've been kind of uh, hitting me rather hard. You know, Rosalind Carter, uh, Sandra Day O'Connor, Diane Feinstein. Now, you could argue that we lost Diane a few couple of years ago because she's you've been losing it for a period of time. Alas. She actually, you know, yeah. not with us anymore. Yes. Yes. And so. But for but any, yeah, those, for, are, uh, those are the serious losses. I'm thinking about the the complete implosion of um, Lauren Boebert in in Colorado. I can't even say it with a straight. Uh, that, 
is a thing of beauty. She has moved to another district where she doesn't have a chance because there are five other people who are Republicans who are running because she knew that, um, I don't, you know, I don't know why uh, she hasn't been ostracized more for that little episode in the theater. Well, you know, for the same reason, apparently- for the same reason, the evangelicals were comfortable with Donald Trump. I mean, he's the last thing from their claimed moral fiber. But if he gave them the Supreme Court they wanted, then they were going to go with that. So uh, it, she, she's it, a woman. So, 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 so different rules. Based in, uh, but she has, it has not helped. It has not hurt her. I usually women get into more trouble for things that um, the, the, the stupid things. Oh, that they do. well, wait, wait, wait. I, I, can I can answer this question. I can answer this question. It falls under the right wing Republican category file of. But she's hot. That 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 excuses everything. Yeah, because she's hot because she because she looks good in a gun and a short skirt, then uh, she can she can have her way with them. They're not really thinking with their brains, as you know. They're thinking with the smaller brain, the smaller brain. So, I mean, all they I I heard from some uh, people about the video, the 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 uh, what was it to Beetlejuice video? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and the 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 cut of her dress was all a lot of these guys really cared about. She she is. I mean, there are gun racks and there are Bobert racks, and and these guys <laughs> wanted both, and they got them in Lauren Bobert, and and that is the motivator, I think, for for a lot of them. And that would be my explanation for why they have not abandoned her in droves. Because she's, you know, you know the expression, nothing to see here? The opposite for Lauren Boebert. <laughs> well, I, uh, I, I don't think she's hot, but I'm not a guy. So, uh, you know, she does, I don't, I don't, I mean, I, 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 I see women who are beautiful all the time. She just doesn't, I guess because I know what she's about, she can't look better to me. Okay. Well, here, let me put it to you this way. On the one hand, you have Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And I don't like to be lookist, but I'm trying to think like a Republican Trump guy. Okay. So Sarah Huckabee Sanders is not going to to she she will be supported because of her activities her views her faith her history her trumpiness but lauren bobert you can you they wouldn't she could just get up there and say i love trump and and take her top off and she would she would win that vote she doesn't actually have to do more than that oh and guns i love guns and trump and they will vote for her um but fortunately, they only uh, won by 500 votes last time. And I think at this point, several of the men in that district have, have been put out of their households by their spouses. And so um, she, she would not have stood a chance, I think, in the coming election. But that's just that's just my position on it. Uh, so she's going to this new district. Do we know what kind of house she's going to be able to buy with her congressional salary in this new district, given that Colorado property is as shooting? Through the roof, price wise. I'm sure that she'll, someone will uh, make sure that she's able to rent a nice enough place. She'll it's be renting. Enough. You think she'll she'll, she'll be renting? Yeah, she'll, she'll, she'll be renting. You can you can you can rent and still run. You just have to live there. 
Sure, I know, but you'd think that she would want to want to take some of. The, she's been earning a steady living now. She doesn't have to cocktail waitress anymore. She could actually maybe buy something. Um, but no, you think? I mean, I. But she's, I going through, she's going through a divorce, isn't she? That's true. Is, is the divorce is the divorce final yet? Uh, you're the gossip <laughs> columnist. You tell me. I'll yeah. I'll wait for the answer on that one. It's going to cost you. I'm not going to pay attention to Lauren Bobert's divorce. I don't care. (laughs) You know, I I actually, now that you've mentioned it, now I'm interested. I would be curious to know what this former husband, soon to be former husband, whatever his status is, I'd be curious to know what he asks for. I I would be, you know, he, he shut up and put up with her insane behavior for so long he must have known what she was like is he allowed to to ask for for funds for mental anguish i wonder oh he does lord knows he deserves them lord <laughs> knows he, he's, he's earned them but, but but i gather he's not a prize either i'm 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 drawing a blank he's got some baggage there's some issue he's got yes yeah he's got bags yes he, and i can't remember i can't remember what it is but it is it, I wouldn't have married him. Okay? I, be- I believe it was low-cut blouse-related baggage. I, I think that, you know, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I, as I recall, there was some, I think he had some kind of, and I will double-check this, but I believe there was some sort of sexual harassment claim filed against him uh, as the proprietor of a, a eating and or drinking establishment. Uh, I will double-check okay. on yeah, that. That's, that's- that, that, that feels that feels familiar. That feels familiar. I believe yeah. that was his mm-hmm. scenario. Okay, so we lost some wonderful Democratic women, um, and and now let's go to some more. Uh, did you see the Christmas greeting from Marjorie Taylor Greene? No. Uh, what was it? I, they hate me because I'm too MAGA. They hate me because I love America too much. They hate me because, uh, you know, does that make me a naughty girl? And I, I hope that this is AI. I hope this isn't official Marjorie Taylor Greene because the thought of Marjorie Taylor Greene in a Santa hat asking if she's been a naughty girl just sounds like she's running for like this. What are those adult film awards? What, yeah, doesn't it sound like she's running for the adult film star, whatever those awards are called? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, to, for, for, for Marjorie Taylor Greene to ask if she's been a naughty girl, you just think, oh, next comes the spanking video. She knows what she's doing. She knows what she's doing. That's not, that's not an accident. Yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, the the low-cut blouses, the don't you know who I am, the am I a naughty girl. It's really fascinating that then the Republicans turn around and say to the Democrats, look look how many women we're electing. Look how feminist we are. And and I want to say back to them, you know, the essence of feminism isn't just any women. Uh, should deserve support. It's it's what kind of women should deserve our support. If if you're, it's like, do you remember back in the day, the John Birch Society always had a couple of Jewish members, a couple of black members, and then they could stand up and say, look, we're not a racist organization, even though they were a racist organization. Uh, we have managed to convince like these five people that that we you know we they belong here and i think in a weird way the republican party has just taken on the strategy of the john birch society look women belong here um even though everything about the party is anti-woman that's very insightful that's very insightful on your part i hadn't made that connection but um 
I you know I just think of them as uh, uh, embracing everything that the Dixiecrats were up to. But they, but you but they may go farther back, and they may be uh, John Birchers too. Yeah, yeah. Well, they would feel right at home in today's uh, Republican Party. I think. Um, yes, yes, they would. Yes, they would. Although the, the most hilarious thing out of the young Republicans' mouths are when they call the older Republicans rhinos. And again, I, I never felt bad for, for Liz Cheney until until just this past year. That that was when I started to really feel bad. Like, it was your party. You belonged here. Their views were your views. And now you're just like Noah's dove. You're flying around. There's no place for you to put your foot down. Uh, you got right. they have abandoned you completely and it's and turned on you and would rip you to shreds. If, see, if 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 the Republicans were forming their who should get a hit person list I, and I were Lynn Cheney, I'd be worried. I'm sure she is worried that, for her safety. Yeah, she, she's worried. Yeah, she's worried. For, she's worried about her safety. And, and she well, had a lot of security when she does it. Yes. Did she come through Minnesota on her book tour? Uh. Not sure. I want to say yes. She came through. I want to say that. Because I, 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 I mainly, I, I, I got enough of her in the interview with uh, Rachel on uh, MSNBC, and um, uh, she did. She and um, I saw her on the View. Uh, yeah, she came. She came to Minnesota. She came to Minnesota. Yeah. yeah uh, I can't who's Who's coming to hear her now? Uh, is it all Democratic? People who are like, you're, we know you're not one of us, but we're grateful for you. What has her reception been like as you've been watching all of this? Well, I, I, I think that um, it's just so nice to hear a reasonable Republican that, uh, that, she, that that's her main um, attraction. And, and, and if she became president, trust me, it would be it wouldn't be this crazy, but it would be a lot of stuff that we didn't like. Oh, yeah. She's very clear that she voted for Trump and with Trump for most of her time in Congress and that she. But she she appreciates her. But she, you know, she cares about democracy enough that she won't vote for him again. And she also has said that she uh, will not run for uh, make a. I don't know why she would do this. I don't even I don't know why she let anybody think she would do this. She wouldn't engage in a third party endeavor. Because she thinks that would help Trump, but yeah. there were you know there were a few weeks where it, it, where it sounded like she was considering that. And I'm going, no, that would only help him. You're not trying to help him. Yeah, I, I was a little yeah. puzzled by her unwillingness to just douse that fire any chance she could. Right. Now, speaking of women running for president, you know we have to bring her up, <laughs> Ms. Haley, Nikki Haley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just I've never been impressed with her. And I know she took down the flag in South Carolina when she was governor. But how many people had to die before she, before she made that move? It's not as though she took it down because she knew it was wrong and it should come down. People had to die. People had to be massacred by a white supremacist before she thought, well, you know what? I don't think we should have the flag up anymore. And she's also apparently very confused about slavery. And I love Chris Christie's point that the first line in the the uh, uh, the, 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 the uh, when when South Carolina decided it was withdrawing from the union was because the North didn't want slaves. But she doesn't know this. 
I think she's a, she's a, she's another one who uh, she, she is running for vice president. You know, she's running for vice president. Well, I mean, she she's not going to get that from from the the Donald. I mean, he's not going to pick her. He's no way you, would he are pick you her. Sure? Yeah, are you sure? I'm sure. Okay, I'm, I'm not, sure. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I think he would pick her just to abuse her the way, and, and, and expect her to do everything that, you know, and, and, and to become the syncopat that, that uh, Mike Pence was and to mirror his actions and just, I, the, just to humiliate her. I think that would be a lot of fun for him. Hmm. You well, know, the vice president is, is supposed to be in the background. And he would, put, he would make sure she was so far in the background. Well, but it, I, I have never been. I, I and I want to like. I want to like Nikki Haley, but she she has. Um, she is. I believe she's still courting. You know, she's just. She she doesn't really want to offend racist people who should be offended. <laughs> yeah, racists welcome here. Your your vote is welcome here. It really is interesting. I mean, if she if South Carolina's former governor had any moxie at all and again, proving that you can run with no spine, her spine, weirdly, it seems to be like a prosthetic spine. She can put it in and take it out again. Like she can put it in when she goes after Vivek Ramaswamy and she says, you know, nothing about international affairs or when she makes the high heeled shoe joke. She she it's almost worse because, you know, she can do better. I mean, you I don't I don't I'll get in so much trouble if I say what's in my heart right now. But of course, this is what they pay me. It's like the Special Olympics of campaigning over there on the Republican side. It's like, you know, look, I can be president even though I have no spine. I'm just as good a president with no spine as all those other people with spines. And uh, all she really would have had to do to really move herself out front was to say, it, it was about slavery, and that's why I'm running, because I am a woman of the New South, and we're appalled. I mean, she could have said that. Race is not she's welcome not here. Pardon? She's not, a woman. she's not a woman of the New South. She's, she's, com- she's comfortable with things the way they were, even though... She wasn't around when things were. Her family wasn't around. around when things were the way they were. Do, do you think she really doesn't understand what our history is? I mean, she's an educated woman on international affairs. I think she's great. She doesn't want to offend the racist. So she no, she she she, she so she's had, she 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 has to parse things because she can't offend those people. I think she, I don't, you know I don't think that um, I think she, she I think she also thinks that she has. Uh, 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 she thinks America is more accepting than it is of someone who looks like her. She she believes that because people have been nice to her in Iowa and because she's been elected governor of South Carolina. But when push, this push comes to shove, um, we're, we're never going to have a, a, be a country that has a choice between Nikki Haley and Kamala Harris for president. That's not going to happen. That face-off is not in our in, in our lifetime. Our, my lifetime or yours, well, I don't think. If we saw that, what would you think people would do? Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> Move to Canada. I mean, we it's, 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 
moved yeah, to Canada. I, I, you, you know, you can't, you can't have, uh, but because there's nobody who was, uh, no woman who was better qualified for being president than Hillary Clinton, who's run so far. Yeah. Well, Nikki Haley is no Hillary Clinton. I think I think that Kamala Harris is a very very smart woman, and I remind people again: look at what she said to Jeff Sessions and Brett Kavanaugh when she was interrogating them. She's a she is an attorney. She can interrogate people. She's a critical thinker. She thinks on her feet very well. But 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 I don't know. Um, I wish that we would have that. It would be interesting to see if we had that kind of country. But I, I, I'm with you. I, I think we won't get. Certainly, the Republican Party is not going to uh, support Nikki Haley in in the states where she would have to get support, even if Donald Trump right. were on none of the ballots. Um, and that's not going to happen either. So let's talk about um, the the. Nikki Haley and the southern states. What what are are they just if they if Trump isn't allowed on the ballot as a result of the Supreme Court, what will the super red states do? Uh, we don't have to worry about that. The Supreme Court's going to make sure he's on the ballot. I mean, we don't even have to talk about that. It's, okay. a, it's, 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 it's a it's a non issue. It's a, a he's going to be on the ballot. Uh, they and and and. Clarence Thomas isn't going to recuse himself from anything. You know, there's there's, there's some things that are that are that you know they're just it's it's just the way that it is. <laughs> Have another basket of fries, Judge Thomas. Here, I brought these for yes. you. Um, these expensive fries that I that I bought for you and uh, and your family. And he, he Clarence Thomas is just such a dis, a, a disgrace. That he, that it, it, it would seem just desserts to me that he would be forced to leave the Supreme Court and Biden, although we're getting so close to the election, they probably wouldn't let him appoint somebody would be would would, would pick his replacement because of, and that would be that would be just desserts and um, uh, it would it would be um, <laughs> it would be uh, the, the right thing to do because. Um, Biden was the one who mistreated uh, uh, Anita Hill during those those hearings, and that got Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court. That would be that would be perfect, but you know that's not going to happen. No, I, can, yeah. I can dream though. Oh yeah, we all have our little fantasies. You mentioned something a minute ago that made me want to circle back um, when you said that Nikki Haley is mistaking her her nice reception in Iowa for people genuinely liking and accepting her as a longtime resident of the Midwest where nice is sort of the default option and the way that people say they hate your guts and would rather see you smashed between two city buses than to have to have lunch with you is, well, she's interesting and interesting. Um, what what do you think that that the Republican non-Trump candidates should know about the Midwest when they come there to speak? That um, well, you said it. That we're going to be nice to your face, but not necessarily. But but in the end, we're going to support the boys. Uh, I don't. The, the mid. The, I, I think. I think. I think. I think that actually, um, prob- probably if the, now that I have a few seconds to reconsider, that Nikki Haley would do better in the North than she will in the South. 
Well, and, and, I don't think I don't I don't I don't see places like Mississippi and Alabama and Florida liking her. Huh? As a I could see them liking. Candidate. I could see them liking her in Florida. I could see her getting that right wing Cuban vote in Florida. They they could like her there. No. Once again, people who are not voting their best. Interest. Well, for sure, we are, we are we are low low. What, what did what did uh, Trump say? I like the the low um, IQ voter. Yeah, they're his <laughs> they're his base, and it's weird. And <laughs> now that you've reminded me of that, he can insult his voters like right to their faces, and, and they don't even know it's happening. It's weird. It's. It, I mean, he insults the military, although now in his Christmas greeting, and I don't know where he's getting this, he went after the, quote, close, quote, woke military. Where, where is that coming from? Uh, there, there's a black guy heading it. But, Austin. That's, the, that's an Austin problem, once again. Oh, that's what I thought he was. See, here's me thinking he's actually thinking about the voters, the military voters, but he's just thinking about one voter. Yeah, the military people uh, are, are, are there. Are a lot of Republicans in the military. Yeah, but he's talking about once again. He's talking about Lloyd Austin. <laughs> well, that's fascinating because I, I mean, the people we know just a couple of people serving, and um, I don't think either of them would vote for Trump if they're if if their life depended on it. I mean, because their life does depend on it. And I think they understand that no. he's he's a threat to their well being, but um, right. and he will. But he, and the, but there, there are people who uh, the people who learn the lesson, and then there's some people who kind of like the lesson, <laughs> and, and they they want to vote with him because they, they enjoy what he says. So dismayed. Oh, he's just so straightforward. Yes, it is very. Dis- it's a, I I'm I dismay for our country. Yeah. I mean, I think that we're I think we're. Uh, um, I just we're just America is not. We're not exceptional anymore because we're not. There are not enough intelligent people who are are, are 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 rising to the top either as political candidates or as voters. Well, you've circled we right just, around just, when you say that we're we're um, we like people or the Trump people like like uh, him because he's quote the so straightforward. <laughs> Again, this is like we we love women. Well, doesn't it matter which woman? If you're straightforward, doesn't it matter what you say when you're straightforward? And apparently, it's the equivalent of of coming into somebody's house and evacuating your bowels on their living room floor and then having the family say, you know, but there's nothing hidden here. He evacuated his bowels on our living room floor. And we we like that in a person because nothing's (laughs) hidden. We know exactly what he's doing, exactly how it smells, exactly what he's going to do every time he comes into our living room. And so we love him. I mean, that that, that is what I think of when people say, oh, but he's so straightforward. He should, you know, we really know who he is. But what if who he is is bad? I mean, why doesn't that what seem is, to make a difference? What he is, is bad and they don't care. That's so and weird. And they don't care because of that. Yeah. He's yeah. going to come and take a dump right on their living room floor and they won't care. I, I just can't even imagine. I just can't. They'll probably try to sell it on eBay. <laughs> Okay. All right. I, this is what I, you want to know why I love CJ? 
You want to know why I love CJ? This is why I love CJ. Anybody who is just tuning into the Edwin Eisendrath show and going, what on earth? This is CJ. This is who she is. And this is why we like her. Because no matter how far-fetched your imagination and your scenario, CJ will just circle that back. And all of a sudden, it makes even more sense than it made when it came out of your mouth. And that's why we like CJ. That's so you too kind. You too kind. No, no, no. So tell me, um, what are the bright spots in the year ahead as you look forward? Oh, you know, the one thing we didn't discuss that I was that I that I I I, I really missed um, uh, Joy Santos and his uh, oh, little daddy. Um, oh, yes, yeah. Okay, I'm willing to have you on to talk about next year. Next year, what about George Santos? We left him right in the dust. Well, How did we do that? I, 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 I just, I miss the sweaters. I really miss the sweaters. He was just such a character. And once again, it shows you how uh, emotionally uh, corrupt Republicans are that they didn't kick him out a lot sooner. Yeah, they had to really wait until their house was on fire. And, and actually, they had to wait till right. it got to the second floor. And they were jumping out the yeah. windows, and, and that was the point. Uh, what do you make of his new job leaving greetings for people? And uh, what, what's his name, uh, the senator, um, having him tape a greeting for um, – how did it, Fetterman had him tape a greeting for <laughs> – that Fetterman is a genius. I, I really, I really that, is, that, that had so much uh, panache and a plum that you know. You, you, I just thought it was hysterical. Uh, he, um, it, it shows you that people will uh, will pay for anything because he, this guy should he should he should be once again he's a, he's a, you know if if he wants to start bottling his uh, poop. And selling it on eBay, I think that there there will be buyers because it's George Santos, and he's he's so clever, and 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 he and he's clearly somebody who has uh, there's a cog missing. There's something mentally just a little off by him. Yeah. If you, if you really yeah. study his eyes, we shouldn't be laughing at him. We should be make sure making sure he gets the. Uh, that he gets needs. home safely. That's right. CJ, thank you so much. It's been really great talking with you. I uh, I look forward for to our next opportunity. It's just about three o'clock. We're going to talk about the greening of the auto industry, their contracts, what you can drive next year, where you can charge it with Car Guy Tom in just a moment. It is the Edwin Eisendrath Show on WCPT. You're looking at the big picture with Edwin Eisentraff on WCPT 820. Are you? Are you looking at the big picture? Five minutes after three o'clock. Tory Ryder in for Edwin. He comes back next Saturday. I'm in this week, starting the second for Joan Esposito. Joan returns the eighth. And there you have it. If you want to follow me on socials or keep in touch at some other time, just spell the name and there I am. Say the name, Boris. Say the name. T-U-R-I, writer like the truck. And that'll get you to my podcast, my book, the audiobook, all that stuff. And I understand that if you drive a newer car, you can just request that your car play my audiobook. And it'll at least give you the free sample. But if you want to know what your new car will and will not do, you couldn't do any better than to speak with this gentleman, Tom Appel, uh, Car Guy Tom. Welcome back to WCPT. I'm so glad that you could be with us today. Oh, happy to do it. And because you're so much fun and we learn so much. Um, 
we we have heard uh, as the campaigning for the Republican spot and as the uh, campaigning of uh, Kennedy as a, a third party candidate uh, proceeds that one of the big stones that's being hurled at the traditional Democrats is our support for electric vehicles. People are saying it's too soon. People are saying we're wasting money. People are saying that the money for the chargers has been ill-spent or isn't being spent. Where are we as a nation with having people able to just buy an electric car and not have any anxiety about where they can take it before they run out of fuel? That's a good question, and there's so many parts to that answer. But the simplest answer is, if you live in a single-family home and you can afford to and are able to charge a home charger, a level 2 charger, and, and you don't plan on taking this vehicle very far from home, and by that I mean 200 miles or so, you can get an electric vehicle right now and enjoy it and appreciate that it will save you some money and it is good for the planet. Um, if you live someplace where you cannot arrange to have charging at home, the situation gets complicated. And at this point, I am suggesting that you wait until something can be done about that. So if you um, so if you want to do like what we do, stuff everybody and the dog in the car and drive to Toronto, you would have a hard time doing it in an electric car right now. The rock from Chicago, Toronto probably has sufficient charging stations. The issue you have to find them, they'd have to work out well distance wise. And what complicates things is if the chargers aren't working or aren't working well, you can spend a lot of time at a charger you didn't plan to spend there. Um, I've run into this situation too where what are referred to as fast chargers that should deliver a certain amount of energy are delivering far as far less and a stop you thought might take twenty minutes or half an hour ends up stay, taking ninety minutes and that's really messes with your travel plan. Yeah, that's bad. And and what is going wrong? They're just slowed down or someone has monkeyed with them or there are just not enough of them in service and you have to wait for one? What what happens when you find that your 20-minute charge takes 90? Bluntly, the charging networks that are out there right now, and, and two of them are privately owned, and one of them, Electrify America, was funded by the punitive damage that Volkswagen suffered for its Dieselgate scandal, if people uh, remember that. Yes. These three major providers of charging systems have badly bungled the process, and the charges do not work very well. They're not very reliable, and they're not as fast as advertised, and that's a huge problem. What about the fact that last year we saw several major automakers reach an agreement with uh, Tesla that there would be sort of a universal uh, charging method. They could license uh, Tesla's charger to their cars. Where are we with that? Oh, that's soon. Uh, Tesla has decided to open up more stations than we originally thought, but they haven't done that yet. The good news is that the Tesla network is is fairly accessible, especially where the population pockets are. So here on the um, on the eastern half of the United States, there are lots of tar- Tesla charging stations, and they're very good. They're very fast. They're very reliable. They're very conveniently located. And most of these stations have 10 or 20 outlets, so you don't wait when you get there. Yeah, I actually uh, was riding with a girlfriend of mine from New York City to her home in Connecticut, and we pulled in to be perfectly candid for a pit stop and and there was a whole row of these two different kinds of chargers um do you anticipate that there will ultimately be just one like a usb plug on the other end of just about any cord will there be just one and will it be universal at some point 
that's probably what's going to happen. Right now, the rush to make them universal is probably necessary because you can just use an adapter to convert a Tesla charger to what we call a CCS charger or the other way around. So the compatibility is not really an issue, and I I don't know why that's become part of the conversation, but it has. The question is really access to these Tesla stations and what that will cost regular consumers as well because that's not – something we know yet we we took my my spouse and i took a vacation to savannah georgia and we were Uh there for something like four or five days i think we saw one tesla one and meanwhile uh, when we go back to where we used to live the bay area i would say more than half the cars at this point are either plug-in hybrids or evs um and that's just you know driving the the freeways what i'm seeing there um it are are the statistics somebody breaking out the the uptake statistics for different parts of the country as far as electric vehicles? Yeah, it's very much a blue state, red state thing, unfortunately, and that's true for Tesla too. Tesla's real big breakthrough into sort of red state uh, segment pop, uh, penetration is in Texas, where they build vehicles, so they're pretty popular there. So, so for many reasons, uh, Mr. Musk was wise to move his um, facilities, at least in part, to, to Texas, if only because if they make them here, we'll buy them here. Um, that that is the mindset now in Texas. It's part of it, yeah. They build them in Austin, which is pretty much a blue state. It's, kind it's of a, a blue, blue state, state inside a red state. It's true. It is true. Uh, I have family members who work for Tesla down there, and they uh, they have noticed the difference between the, the Austin area and the San Antonio area and then just every place else. Um, what about the cyber truck that's now coming out? Is Where's that being made, and um, are, what are the what's the feedback on it? Never forget seeing it, but the Cybertruck has been rumored for years and years and years. It was introduced something like five years ago. It took Tesla forever to bring that to market. And part of the problem is, part of the interesting thing about Tesla is they will take on any ridiculous component of a vehicle or, or styling attribute or some weird feature, like the Tesla Model X has these gull-wing rear doors, which are strange. But, but they will run with it, and they will build this thing, and they will even build it badly until they can build it correctly. But they will do it. And the Cybertruck, they delivered some this year so they can say they introduced it in 2024, which is still late. Um, but but there is allegedly demand for this vehicle. And if you hear Tesla fans correctly, they say there are 2 million reservation holders for this vehicle. Now, that's probably not the case, especially because the prices came in much, much higher than anyone expected. What does that thing cost, like $70,000 or something? Yeah, it was supposed to start at forty. The cheapest version is sixty, but they won't build a sixty thousand dollar version for like eighteen months. So really, if you want one now, it's eighty grand or a hundred grand. So that's right in the same ballpark as if you're not a fan of Mister Musk, which I am. I am now at the point where I will not buy a Tesla. I would rather take public transit than buy a Tesla at this point, <laughs> and that's saying something because I just well, I'm still driving my eighty six Supra, but but I'm not going to do it because. I detest him personally, and I'm not giving him the satisfaction of having someone who detests him personally driving around in a car that he built. So um, I looked at the Rivian. Are those are those comparable? The, not that I can afford that either, but now, um, unlike with his Tesla vehicles, which were the cheapest thing available in a functioning electronic 
vehicle, he has competition in that in that space, that sixty to eighty thousand dollars space, right? Lots of competition, and there's a funny story there, and I'll get to Rivian in a second, but people who weren't paying attention this year know that Tesla had to cut prices dramatically to maintain market share because there is competition now. Right. Um, and, and Rivian is one of those. Rivian is starting to deliver vehicles in relatively predictable volume. They've had a really rough startup, but the vehicles are very well reviewed. I haven't driven one personally, but colleagues who have say nothing but good things about them. The only problems about the Rivians, and there are two products right now, the R1T, which is a pickup truck, like a midsize pickup truck, and the R1S, which is like a midsize crossover, they're expensive. They start around 70 and very quickly get to 80 and 90 and even 100, depending on how you equip them, which means that you exclude yourself from receiving the federal tax credit for those vehicles, right. uh, the cap of which is at 80 grand. Yeah, it's just my aspirational vehicle. I'm not actually going to – I've been talking about buying an EV for like – and, and I think all of my friends who, who consider ourselves environmentalists, we've been discussing this for like five, six, seven years now. And then we just keep driving our same old jalopies that we've been driving. And we're like, well, yeah, we're, we're environmental. We're not getting rid of our old cars. So there you go. That's our environmental statement. We're driving 20-year-old cars. If somebody is really ready to do the greenest possible private vehicle. Like, give me the, the best five private vehicles you could buy that, from an environmental standpoint, would make the most sense at every level. The parts are recyclable, or they're they're made in a, in a responsible, non-polluting way, or you can charge them. In, whatever the criteria are, let me know what the criteria are, and give me your top five. Um, in terms of recyclability, BMW leads the industry, and, and they, almost every part of a BMW, especially the plastic parts, are stamped and marked so the vehicle can be torn down and most of the parts recycled. That said, BMWs aren't especially fuel efficient, but they do make electric vehicles. But if you're looking for something affordable and reasonable, you don't need to go electric exactly because this is an old friend of the, of, of the green people, of the green movement, and that the Prius is still out there, and it's still excellent, and it was redesigned last year, and it's a beautiful-looking car for the first time ever. It used to be weird wonky-looking, and now it's attractive and still incredibly efficient, and you can buy a, you can buy a Prius now under $30,000. That'll still get you 57 miles per gallon. Wow, that really is something. And, and what about the plug-in hybrids? What What is the status? I mean, to me, I, I looked at them, and it felt a lot like the Scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz going, you could go this way. <laughs> of course, other people say going that way is a really good idea. I, I, what is what is one to make of the plug-in hybrid? That's a great question, and I'm one of the more skeptical people about plug-in hybrids, but you can do it. And, and we just mentioned the Prius. There's the Prius Prime which is a plug-in hybrid version of that vehicle. But there are two concerns about plug-in hybrids. One, they're expensive because you have both a hybrid and an electric vehicle in one vehicle. But otherwise, there's a very weird thing that happens with plug-in hybrids, especially if you drive them Uh efficiently. And that's that the catalyst, the catalytic converter, cools off. Huh. when you're driving in electric mode. But if you hit the gas hard, the gasoline engine has to kick in. And the problem is the catalyst doesn't work when it's cold. So there's a certain amount of NOx emissions that are being produced in excess of what might be just a regular vehicle. Huh. Wow. I had no idea. So um, so they're not as efficient as you might think because if you have to hit the accelerator hard, out comes the 2024 version of a puff of black smoke. Like, it's not CO2, em- CO2 emissions, though. It's just NOx emissions, which is a different thing. So it's not greenhouse gas. And that said, there are really good plug-in hybrids out there. Uh, the Toyota 
Uh, RAV4 Prime, for example, is not only very fuel efficient and will take you 30 miles, you know, with on pure electric power, um, but but it's also very fast. So if you like that, well, I uh, heard you couldn't get those. I heard those were like it, there was an, a demand but no supply. Is that still true? Or was it ever true? I keep trying to check on that. I, I suspect that it's difficult to get one, and I suspect that if you get on a list, you're going to pay list price, which is a little steep. So that is a deterrent. But there are other plug-in hybrids out there, too. Like I mentioned, the Prius is a great example. What about people who are – that part of their environmental ethos is that they buy used? Like, for me – other than my underwear and my really other than my underwear and my glasses, everything is used like secondhand for the most part. And a lot of people feel like their their way of minimizing their imprint is to buy something that's already been been made or in this case of a car built. What are these green vehicles like as um, on the secondary market? How would one sort out what would be a good option or know if it, if it was a good option for them? Well, one of the interesting things happening right now, and then there's been some discussion about this, and that's that demand for EVs has cooled. Now, there's st- it's still growing. It's just not growing as fast as it did before. So don't be misled by strange headlines. We are definitely moving EV, but not as quickly as we had before. But one of the weird um, sub- subheads there is, is that EVs are pretty cheap used right now. Uh, absolutely great way to go. You want to make sure that the battery's in good condition, so you want a dealer to fully charge it and show you what the full charge looks like. But it's a good way to go. Wait, circle back there. You go to the dealer with this perspective used car purchase, and you ask a dealer who isn't going to be selling you this car, check the battery for me. What Would they do such a thing for you, and would they charge you for that? And what would what would they be showing you so you would know what you should be looking at? One of the concerns when you buy a used EV, and it's probably an issue that's not nearly uh, as as troubling as it seems, but you want to make sure that the battery of a used EV is in good condition. And there's all sorts of ways to do it, but the best way is simply to ask the dealer, the dealer selling you the car, just to make sure it's fully charged. So you're saying don't, don't buy it from a private party, only buy it from a dealer. No, you can buy it from a private party, too. You just want to make sure that you see what a full charge looks like. If the car originally had 300 miles of range, five years later, you want to make sure that that range is still reasonable. Ah, because batteries see, now, now you're getting to the part where I, where I didn't understand, but now I'm starting to understand. So so the battery will not just say I'm fully charged. I'm. It will tell you how many miles it's prepared to go in some yes. sort of readout. Where do you see that? I don't own an EV, so it'll show you at the mechanic will have a tool or you see it on the dashboard? It's right on the dashboard. Basically, your range is the same as your old fuel gauge. Oh, okay. So you go in there if you want to use one, and you go in there with the stats on what the car was supposed to do when it was new, and it shouldn't shouldn't it be losing some of its efficiency over time, though? Would you reasonably expect a used electric vehicle to go as far on its battery as a new one? Yeah, they, they degrade over time, and that degradation depends on a lot of things, including how often you fast charge, which is bad for battery life, uh, and, and how long you, how many times you've drained it completely, which is very bad for the battery. But the number now is between 1% and 3% degradation a year, so it's very, very slow. Okay, so now what we know is 1% and 3% degradation, and it's bad to fast charge it, even though we want a lot of fast chargers so that we can drive our cars the way we're used to driving our cars, even though that will wreck your car. Yes, yes. Well, wreck is probably strong language, 
but but batteries that are slow charged tend to last longer than batteries that are fast charged. Oh, this is so unfortunate because now the more I talk to you, the less I want one of these cars. <laughs> I was like, this is not good. This is like, the more you style your hair, the more of your hair will fall out. This is not good. This is like, the more you wash your hands, the more likely you are to catch bubonic plague. I don't like this. This is not good. This is not good. There is good news, though. Teslas have been on the market now for more than 10 years, and there are lots and lots of used and even ready for, for dismantling Teslas out there. And most of those batteries, even at the end of life, are still showing 80 to 90 percent capacity. So a lot of the scare about batteries failing is is uh, hype. What about the scare about batteries exploding into flames like something from the cover of Weekly World News? Yeah, we see a lot of that. It seems to make great headlines and they're good pictures, but car fires are actually pretty rare and electric car fires are strangely, counterintuitively, even more rare. It doesn't happen that much. Now, there have been stories about Teslas that have been flooded and ended up underwater and those batteries burning, and that's a problem. But the chemical uh, composition of, of batteries don't really like water. Yeah, do we really need to tell people, you know, do not immerse your Tesla in water? Do we, Is that something we need to tell them? Oh, but I should ask you, if you have a combustion engine and there's a big puddle, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I would warrant you that, that many of us, uh, perhaps you listening, have just thought, oh, screw it. And you back your car up and you gun the engine and you plow through the puddle of water and you come out the other side and your car goes for a few minutes until it dries out. But you're saying that with with an electric vehicle that those days are behind you. Don't ever do that. Don't run through the puddle ever, ever. Oh, I, I would recommend not doing it ever, ever, no matter the car, but your battery should be sealed. And there have been cases where Tesla vehicles, perhaps vehicles that have been abused, the battery case was not completely sealed, and then the results were dire. Uh, but, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> don't oh, do come that. on. That's half the f- – some of us, some of us don't go to the racetrack. Some of us don't go to Las Vegas. Some of us simply like to drive our car really fast through a puddle and hope we make it. And and there goes that fun. Thanks a lot. Uh, so, okay, let's leave the subject. As long as we're coming to the end of the year. What were the rock star cars as far as you're concerned last year, and what are you looking forward to next year? Um, one of my favorite cars is going away, and I'm very depressed about this. And it had a very rough life. And that was the, the, the Chevrolet Bolt, which was one of my favorite electric vehicles because it was so affordable, so much fun to drive, and it had good range, about 260 miles. But General Motors is discontinuing that vehicle, unfortunately, because they can't make any money on it. So there's another Bolt coming later. Well, it was a but, stupid name. I mean, really. That was the stupidest name. That was, I can't even, I mean, there are some car names where you just go, what were they thinking? Uh, like the Fiero. That was a stupid name for a car. Like, I don't want a car that becomes Fiero. That's not good. Um, but but the Bolt just sounds like, I know what they meant. They meant it'll just, I mean, there are only two meanings for the Bolt. Either without being disciplined, it just goes off in some direction on its own, or pieces of it come off. Like, why would they name a car that after all that they invest in research? Do you? Am I crazy? But is that not a stupid name for a car? I thought they were going with Lightning Bolt. Um, so that was the electric attachment to that. That's where I thought they were going with that. They never put the lightning on it. They just called it bolt, no. like out of control or losing pieces. 
And I, and I think that uh, as I sit here, not an automo- automotive expert at all, but just a what could go wrong expert. That's really kind of my ballywick of all imagining like all the things that could go wrong. As I sit here and consider the idea of a car named for either a piece that you should never have to see loose in your car or an out of control thing that runs away from you like a horse or a dog, uh, I would have told them that's a really, really, really bad idea. If they had called it the Chevy Lightning, I'll bet they would still be selling it today. Might be. Yeah. There was another confusing element to this, too, is oh. the Bolt was preceded by the Volt with a V. Which I which thought made... it was still called, by the way, until I realized that it was it was not the Peruvian pronunciation of the Volt. It was... It is not. No. There were two separate cars, and it was very confusing. Yeah. Why? I don't have an answer. I don't know. <laughs> well... Yeah, you know, sometimes you wonder if the people at the top of these automotive companies uh, ever talk to any of us. Like, if if who's the head of Chevrolet? I don't even know who's who is in charge of Chevrolet. Well, if you go all the way to the top, it's Mary Barra, oh, who's yeah. the CEO of General yeah. Motors. See, I would like to to get Mary over a cup of coffee and say, you know, could we just talk about the name of your car? That it's a bad idea to like. Just change one letter in the name. It sounds like you're trying to maybe have plastic surgery on your face so nobody knows it's you. I mean, we're not going to be confused about what it is. And then, of course, the other things that I just objected to. But I interrupted you for a change. Uh, you were talking about disappointments and what's going away and what's coming ahead. So please continue. We're, we're going to take out the world's smallest violin and play it for the poorly named Bolt, which would have been a good car if it didn't sound so embarrassing. Okay. So someone wants to get it when they can. Uh, One of my favorite cars of 2024 was the redesigned Honda Accord. It seems weird to talk about a non-electric regular old sedan, but the Accord has always been one of the best vehicles available, and it still is. And it is offered in hybrid form. And if you want to do something kind of green and feel good about things and still drive a great car, the Accord is the way to go, especially in hybrid form. Still available for around thirty grand. nicely equipped, very quick, very fun to drive, nice interior, and, and just it doesn't ask a lot of you. It's just a good car. Okay. So if, you're, if you just want the family car to be a really great car, that's the car. Yeah, that's a great way to go. Okay. Now... Uh, cars, so cars to, to dream about, salivate over, uh, both affordable and not for the coming year. I just drove, and it's in my driveway still, the Cadillac Lyric. And that car is new for 2020. It was new for 2023, but General Motors ultimately didn't build me last year because of battery production issues. But this is Cadillac's full, first full electric vehicle. It's a midsize crossover, very attractive, and surprisingly affordable for the category. With all-wheel drive, which is expensive on electric vehicles, in a nicely really equipped mid-level trim, the vehicle I'm driving is $68,000, huh. which sounds like a lot of money, but it's a really good deal for a midsize crossover, electric or not. Does that qualify for the uh, Biden uh, rebate or no? 
It should. I, I was a little unclear about what's happening for 2024, and we're waiting to see a list. But the battery is built here, and the vehicle is built here. And I believe most of the minerals used to build the battery are sourced from friendly sources. So that vehicle should qualify for the $7,500 tax credit, which makes it pretty affordable. Well, reasonably so. And is that that's an, oh, for, S, for is that an SUV or is that a, a regular height vehicle, the Lyric? That is an SUV. Very sleek, very aerodynamic. It doesn't look as high as it is, but it is SUV height. I, I, I'm one of these short people who really likes to feel like I could run over you if I don't like you. So I like high cars other than the one that, that isn't high that I drive all the time. But um, I, didn't Cadillac have some notorious failures in the last few years where just like car and driver just said, this is this is a piece of, of plastic? Um, am I misremembering? Didn't they didn't they make a couple of stabs at doing a reimagined Cadillac over the last few years that that landed badly? Not recently. They did the XLR convertible, which was based on good Corvette bones that they charged too much for, and that didn't do very well. And also, they've built a couple of crossovers in the last couple of years that were, I hesitate to use the word mediocre, but that might be a good description. They literally weren't winning hearts and minds. So their parallel car, um, which is the, the Lincoln luxury hybrid, whatever uh-huh. that thing is, some people really love theirs, but that one is not getting raves either. Yeah, Lincoln has some legacy issues. It's an old car. It's an old manufacturer. In trying to sell new Lincolns to the public and describing their vehicles to the media, they once referred to Lincoln as an undiscovered brand. And their point was that youth youthful buyers of, of some means never considered Lincoln because it wasn't on their radar because it was just this legacy brand that no one thought about. And while that's true, I don't think the undiscovered brand thing is an enticement. Uh, yeah, Lincoln here, look, give up your computer and write your letter with this mortal, with this uh, uh, clay tablet and this chisel. Here you go. It's undiscovered. It's an, it's an undiscovered uh, communication method, this clay tablet and, the, and this Stella here. Try it. And you'll love it. It was in use for thousands of years, and the people who used it really liked it then. So that's, that's what you're that telling exactly. me. Oh, boy. Exactly oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay. It's a shame because the Lincoln products are actually very good. Let's talk about the, um, the AI and the communication and the capabilities and the electronics and the, all of the high tech that goes into these things. Can you hold on and we'll talk? I have more questions for you. So if, if you would, more questions in a moment. If you can stand by. That's Tom Appel, Car Guy Tom, uh, talking about the environment, talking about the year ahead, and also because I just love cars. So can you tell? WCPT Chicago's Progressive Talk. You're listening to The Big Picture with Edwin Eisentraff on WCPT 820. 335, Tory Rider in for Edwin Eisentraff. Also, we'll be in on the second. You'll want a best of opportunity. You'll, you'll, if you want a best of opportunity, that'll happen New Year's Day. Uh, Jonas Bezito's show will be running some great moments from Joan over the past year, and there have been many, so you'll want to be listening to that. Joan returns live in person on the 8th, and I'll be here holding her place and, until then. We're talking with Car Guy Tom, Tom Appel, who uh, you, you can follow him on, I think, all the socials. Is, is that right, Tom? Everywhere that you that people want to be, how can they find you? 
Yeah, I'm busy. I'm really on Twitter and Facebook, and, and I should do something about that, but I don't know when I'll do that. Uh, but I am CarGuy.com on Twitter. That's the most important because that's where I talk about cars. There you go. Uh, if you want to know more about uh, what we're discussing. So just really quickly, we got this message as a text. Uh, what is the the difference in terms of what's good, what's better, a plug-in hybrid and a hybrid? Can you spend like 20 seconds and do that for uh, for Andy who texted? Yeah, let's just assume that the hybrid, the plug-in hybrid system is not uh, problematic, and maybe it's not, but I had that issue that I discussed earlier. Um, plug-in hybrids are great, especially because most people don't drive the range that is available electrically. So during the week, if the car plug-in hybrid provides you with 35 miles of range and your distance to and from work is less than that, you're using almost no gas during the week, which is great. And on the weekend, if you're going a long drive, you still have a very fuel-efficient vehicle that happens to be hybrid to take as far as you want to go. So plug-in hybrid works. Plug-in hybrids are expensive, however. Yeah, you mentioned that. But so it really depends on how you're going to use the car. Now, speaking of how you're going to use the car, in this day and age, with all of the AI that's available and the automatic pilot features of some of these cars and the backup assist and the heaven help us, the forward driving assist, what what, what are we getting in terms of, of AI and our car spying on us. Just talk a little bit about the electronics that are in the new cars. I, I actually would be nervous of having some of these highly functional um, electronic vehicles. I'd be nervous about my data, my privacy, and, and what it's telling people about where I go, what I do. It's got cameras. It knows everything about my life. Or am I just paranoid? No, you're not paranoid. And one of the interesting things is it's not just your car. It's the systems we use to interface with the car. So if you're using um, Apple CarPlay or Android Auto with your car, you're just giving your phone or your phone provider even more information about you. And, and for people who don't know, it's called mirroring, but you can use your phone basically to run uh, your, your phone and your, your music and, and your mapping and stuff like that through the car. And there's an interesting situation coming up in the next year and a half or so where General Motors is not going to use or, or make compatible their cars with Apple CarPlay in Android Auto, it's going to use its own system. And they say that this is a this is a matter of reliability, it's a matter of safety because the system will work more quickly and there will be fewer delays so people won't be distracted. But the big deal here really is General Motors wants that data for itself. Huh. That's fascinating. So they want to scoop up your data. They don't even want to scoop it up along with Apple or Android slash Google. They want to scoop right. it up and, and, and stick it to Apple and, and Google at the same time. And, and is there any way that you, the customer, can say, I want my privacy. I do not authorize the car to transmit my data to any of these places? Not really. There are usually... Things that you can do, you actually authorize at some point when you purchase a car, the data collection. You sign something that's very minor, or when you use your car for the first time, you acknowledge that this data will be going to the manufacturer, and you don't even realize you did it. Right? You just say yes on some screen, you want it to go away, and you have done so. The thing about that is right now, the data collected by auto manufacturers is not personalized. It's not attached to you personally. No one knows your address, but they might know some demographics about you, and that data is sold or used uh, in, in aggregate. So they are collecting some free data that they can use mostly for themselves at this point. The concern is that this is going to go further. Um, and, and, and it will be the data will be personalized, and people might be able to attach stuff to you personally. 
which means of getting very specific. It's like we know whenever we get on Facebook and all of a sudden we see ads for something we just talked about, right. which is totally creepy. Yes. We don't really want that happening with our cars as well. So the car could turn on your microphone and just record whatever you say right there behind the wheel. You're having a, a maybe a steamy conversation with somebody and there's your car recording your steamy conversation with somebody and you check. What happens if you don't check the box? What happens if you go out? You know, I'm reading all the fine print on this car and I say no. It may not activate. And I was just talking to someone who works on that side of the industry. And generally, if you want the system to work, you're going to agree to allow that data to be shared. That is horrible. That's just it's yeah. just enough. I mean, and it's not even like in your computer, if you were worried about your camera, you just took like a post-it note and stuck it over the camera on your computer. But now you cannot stick enough post-it notes in enough place. If you, your car would look like it was made out of post-it notes if you tried that. Because you've got cameras in the front and the back and the side. And I... I um, I was just talking to some friends who, just for fun, set their car in some kind of security mode where it, it, it took pictures of everything going on around it. That's weird, too. You, you, can, you can back up your car's um, video recording device and see everything that happened, like Mr. Rogers or Sesame Street, who are the people in your neighborhood. They're the people who walk by your car each day, and you can't stop it from doing this. As Loner recently was able to... to turn over a vandal to the police using that system. Uh, someone had vandalized, I think it was a Tesla Model 3, and the, and the car did, in fact, in security mode, catch pictures of the guy, and I think actually caught the guy's license plate, too. What a schmuck. But they got the guy. Yeah, well, we all like to hear that having these things is empowering for us. And, yes. you know, I, I know as a citizen and, and resident of Chicago that some of the COVID money went towards um, offering residents of Chicago cameras and uh, security cameras and lighting and free storage of all of that video data in the cloud. And I took advantage of the camera and the lights, but I did not take advantage of the cloud storage because I did not want the city to be able. To, the first thing that happens what happened was the city said, well, we'll just have access to this data. And the hue and cry went up and they said, OK, well, with your consent, we'll have access to this data if we ask. And what I did was I simply stored it in a USB stick that you can stick in the back of the of the of the base unit of this. But. We're getting a lot of this, and, and the idea is, of course, it will serve us, but in reality, that's what you hear about. You're not going to hear about um, maybe in a divorce case somebody using your car's camera against you. Yeah, the, the, the only good news here is that there is so much, so much data being collected and process that almost no one can go through all of it. And I think that as individuals, we're probably not generally in much danger of having personal secrets revealed. But if someone wanted to go after you for a specific reason and could find some legal access or legal path to that data, that's troubling. So your car is now, and, and when you say there, it would be too much trouble to go through it individually, but of course we have AI, which can now do facial recognition and scanning. And so nobody has yeah. to go through it personally. Someone can just... In real time, can can the car manufacturers monitor your car's whereabouts? Like if you, if someone, for example, um, let's just say that someone is kidnapped, carjacked, and they're in the car, um, the car can be found by homing in on its little signal, like the low jack used to do. 
if a car is connected cellularly, and most are now, if we go back to the dawn of OnStar, people might remember this is a General Motors product. Oh, that yeah. was its specific purpose was, was for your car to be tracked so that if you had trouble, you could place a call and they could find you. And that worked very well as, as a location uh, locator device. And it kind of went the way of the Garmin uh, map navigator now that that all happens on your phone. Yep. Right. Interesting. So if you're looking to buy a highly connected vehicle and you care about your personal security and your privacy, what would be your best advice? Uh, that's a great question. You you might not want to buy a very connected vehicle, actually. And and at the lower end of the market right now, there are a lot of vehicles where they simply port, they just mirror your, your CarPlay or Android Auto through a screen that doesn't do other stuff. So that's a pretty good way. Keep in mind that your phone still knows what you're doing. Right. <laughs> Right. But I, I have a solution for that if I'm ever really feeling like my, my phone has data that is compromising. Um, it's called Lake Michigan. I'm just going to chuck it in there, <laughs> pollute Lake Michigan. And I realize it's all stored elsewhere, too. But but I'm, I try not to let it be stored elsewhere. Don't you, by the way, in movies where people's stuff is, is hacked, don't you just sometimes wonder, like, why didn't you throw this in a body of water? You have so many to choose from. Why don't you flush it down? In all the old movies, when people were about to be arrested for drugs, they would flush their, their pot down the toilet. Like, why not flush your phone down the toilet? They're not even going to look down the toilet for your phone. I just never understood. Then again, I always imagine what can go wrong, but that's just me. So what you are saying, though, in all seriousness, is if you get one of these lower down the totem pole vehicles, not the super duper luxury vehicle, if you get one of the lower down the totem pole vehicles, then all they're stealing from you is what your phone is sharing. And if you have privacy settings on your phone, that's less. But if you hook it up to your car then your privacy settings don't apply because the car company itself may be scooping up your data. That's correct, yeah. And that data right now being used in aggregate, uh, and it tells manufacturers all sorts of things about how their cars are being used. So you are essentially a, a non, an unpaid you know, market research respondent uh, these days. But, yeah, if you want the good stuff, you kind of got to put up with that. Huh. Okay. All right. It's just the devil. You have to make trade-offs in this world, which is how we started out the show in a way when we were talking about. Yeah. No, seriously, we started out the show talking yeah. about the, the Muslims against Biden leaving. What do they called it? Desert Biden, abandoned abandon Biden. And we talked about you have to you have to make your peace with what what is worth what to you. So I have this question that just came in over the text. Is OnStar in a GM vehicle still worth paying for? I bet you I could answer that, but you you do it. You're the pro. I would say probably not. The only reason that you would want OnStar at all is if you had a crash of some sort and you weren't able to place the 911 call from your phone yourself. Oh, like that uh, guy in Indiana. Yeah. Oh, to, yeah, like, talk about work, yeah. yeah. Talk about the pickup truck in Indiana that was just found uh, underneath. Six days, this guy had been pinned in his pickup underneath a bridge until some fisher folk found him. What were your thoughts as a car person when you when you read that or heard that story? You know, it happened, and people might remember the Tiger Woods accident of a few years ago too. I don't. And we pay an awful lot of money. Oh, well, Tiger Woods had an accident. Where his vehicle ran. Tiger Woods, in a lot of ways, has a lot of things that are he would like us to believe are accidents. I don't know how my private cart got there. I have no idea. But 
in this case, was his car. Yes. Okay. Well, accident might be the wrong word, but he had a mishap, and his vehicle ended up off the road. And it, it suffered severe damage, and it broke his feet. But had the vehicle not been built to new modern standards, he would be dead. And the guy under the viaduct, too. Right now, there's a crazy thing where a vehicle has to sustain three and a half times its weight if it's upside down. That's how strong, how much energy that the, the roof of the car is supposed oh, to, wow. to absorb. So and it can't it a, can't crush you like a cat food can. It it has to support your you hanging upside down there until help comes. That's exactly right, and it seems like overkill, and it adds a lot to the cost of the vehicle. But ultimately, in these two cases. Uh, a life was saved because of those crazy standards. So ultimately, the payoff is there. And, you know, when we talk about how expensive cars are, they're very expensive, and a lot of it is safety equipment, a lot of it's emissions equipment. But in the end, we're getting what we paid for. Was the guy upside down? I thought he was right side up. He was upside down? Uh, I don't know. No, I don't think he was upside down. I just think there was a lot on top of the vehicle. Ah, I see. Yeah, I think upside down, you would have, I don't know if you could hang upside down for six days. I'm not a doctor, but I don't think so. Yeah, and and, and so. keep a journal. On top of that, he was keeping a journal. It kind of makes you wonder, like, panic button. I wonder if there should be a panic button somewhere where you could really get at it. I mean, do we have panic buttons in any of our cars? Yeah, if you are a connected vehicle with a telematic system like OnStar, there is an SLS button usually, and it's in the console on the roof like in the center on the roof of the car, in the ceiling of the car forward. Huh. So they do they do exist in some cases. Well, this is all very reassuring. Not that I have any of those cars. I will tell you, <laughs> no, I will tell you one of the reasons that I love the old 86 Supra is that I it's the second one. The first one I owned for about three weeks before I was run off the road by a drunk driver on Lakeshore Drive. And you may remember that the middle of Lakeshore Drive used to sort of be banked. Uh, right, yeah. right around uh, the curve that goes out for um, one magnif- for a magnificent mile, the Gold Coast, and so the car just sort of took off and flipped over. And I have to say, the car really saved my life. Um, and 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 you're loyal when that happens. I think. Um, I think a lot of people. Which cars would you say are are experiencing the most loyalty? Um, Toyota actually has, has strong customer loyalty, and that's generally based on reliability. But Subaru is really strong. Volkswagen, uh, less now, I think, than it used to be. But Volkswagen owners used to love their Volkswagens just because they were fun to drive and wonderful cars. Uh, but those are really strong ones. And Honda really? is a big one. Too. Huh. Yeah. Well, yeah, the Toyota thing, there are a lot of really – I'm one. I'm Toyota. I tried a Volvo for a while. Then I went back to the Toyota. So, yeah, I'm there, too. But I'm intrigued at the idea that if you are a loyal, patriotic, liberal, environmentally conscious, tech-loving, green American, that that there are some cars coming down the pike that are built here. Um, Any any good union-made cars in America that you can recommend for their – that are hybrid or EVs or um, what have we got that that would qualify for labor-loving Americans? Well, the unions are, are completely the Detroit three makers. So Stellantis is really international now, but the Stellantis American brands are still there. Chrysler, Dodge, uh, Jeep, and Ram. And you've got the entire General Motors suite and the entire Ford suite of brands. And those are all union. Right yeah, but now. they're building a lot of them in Mexico, right? They built a fair amount in Mexico. The interesting thing about the U.S. Uh, is that 
America builds about as many cars as it consumes. And I think we are just gently a net exporter of vehicles. So in, in, in terms of supporting labor in the U.S. and supporting the economy, buying any brand car pretty much does you good unless it's imported from someplace else. And, and we have Mercedes-Benz and BMW who are strangely net exporters from the U.S. Wait, say that last sentence again. Uh, Mercedes and BMW built vehicles in South Carolina and in uh, what is Atlanta. I'm sorry, uh, out west, out east. I'm sorry, and they build more cars here, I think, than they sell. Ah, okay. So we've got some options, but none of the cars that are the. I'm I'm still confused. If you want an electric vehicle or a hybrid vehicle that is built here in the USA, you mentioned the Cadillac Lyric. Anything and and there's Tesla. We know that, but it's not Union. Um, right. And and so, what would be door number three if you want a Union-made EV, American-built? Uh, there is the Ford Mustang Mach E that's built here. That's really. Uh, I thought that was Mexico. Last time I, I went looking, it was Mexico. Are you sure? I'm not sure. Now that you said that, I was pretty sure. And the Ford uh, F-150 Lightning is. Definitely built here. Well, let me check on the Mike E. Yeah, I wanted one of those, and then it turned out they were building them in Mexico at the time that I looked, which was two years ago. So unless they've moved it back here, I will bet you a bag of candy corn that it is made in Mexico. You want to look that up for me right now while we're talking? I am looking, I am looking right now. I see. See, I don't know much, but I, I'm trying hard to go American on this. And I think a lot of the WCPT folk, you know, we also care about labor. We care about that amazing contract, which, by the way, as soon as you answer that question that I just asked you before, I have to ask you if the Donald's prediction that all of the jobs are going to move to China uh, now that the contracts are all settled, do you see any signs of that actually happening? Because I love to give the Donald another pants on fire award every chance I get. No, first of all, first question, you are absolutely correct. Built Mexico. Okay. So you are right. All right. Uh, but as for China, the largest battery maker in China is CATL, and we don't import batteries from China uh, to the U.S., except for very rare cases, a couple of Teslas, for example. But what's happening is that Chinese battery manufacturers are entering partnerships in the U.S. Yes. with domestic makers. Yes. And that seems to be just fine in terms of economics uh, because they have partnerships. They're generally limited partnerships because that makes people happier. And the manufacturers here are happy because they're not spending as much money on these factories. So this this was the plan all along from the, the Inflation Reduction Act, and it seems to be working really well. Okay, points for Biden and another pants on fire award for Donald. I love that. Nothing makes me yeah, happier. Donald. I mean, you'd think by now he's had so many pants on fire awards that he would just say, you know, that's all right, that I pass, no more. But he, he just seems to be collecting them. So now I, I have to ask you to get a little more political. Are the auto workers... And you, I don't know what you're, how closely in contact through your social media and your research and your efforts, are the are the auto workers in Michigan coming back to Biden? Do they appreciate what he did for them, or are they still? No, no, he had nothing to do with that. Well, this was interesting because uh, during the during the strike, the UAW withheld its approval and, and it's ultimately its endorsement of Biden. And Biden did show up and he did march with them and and. Biden's the the, the the Inflation Reduction Act wasn't just Biden. It was a lot of Joe Manchin 
that really left the imprint on that particular piece of legislation. Mm-hmm. And it did work. It is going to bring jobs to the U.S., which is good. The bad news is that battery plants don't employ very many people, uh-huh. uh, especially relative to a car manufacturing plant. So the impact is not as big as it might seem. And so how has that played out as far as the auto workers appreciating uh, the Democratic Party and Biden in particular? Um, is there some and, and I've always I mean, it's, it's sad when you see the auto workers saying, you know, we don't want our industry to change. And, you know, that just like the coal industry, like every industry, yep. like my industry, there used to be live radio on every station all the time. And of course, ha ha ha. Um, why is it that the auto workers, despite how well they have done in their last contract, extraordinarily well, are still not willing, it sounds like, to, to face, uh, the, the need to, well, to face the future? Or, or am I misreading that? No, there is some, I think there's a certain amount of, of, of ignoring the inevitable. Here, and that there will be fewer car man, car jobs as we move forward because EVs require fewer people to produce and EV batteries require far fewer people to produce than, than say, powertrain components for uh, gasoline-powered products. So this this is going to be an issue. And I think that this can be easily ignored if, if, man, if manufacturers just slowly reduce the workforce through attrition. Uh, and it's a sad truth. And, and I know that Sean Fain, the, the head of the UAW, very interested in trying to unionize other factories, but that's going to be really slow going. They've never been successful in the past. Yeah. Well, they were never as successful as they were in their last strike. So I, I am that's hopeful, true. That's true. maybe not optimistic, but hopeful. Tom Appel, thank you so much for spending your valuable time with us on a day when I'm sure you'd rather be out driving. Um, and, and I, and I hope we get a chance to talk again. I think we have a pretty good feeling now for the year gone by, the year ahead, and yeah. so many aspects of this very important industry to workers in America, to the environment, to, to those of us who drive. And uh, you have set us up for the new year very nicely. Thank you so much. That's Tom Appel. He is the car guy, Tom. You can find on X, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, so find him there. Follow his information. I will be here on the second. Um, the first is a best of. So if you love Joan Esposito, I know I do. And while you're sort of decompressing from your New Year's Eve, you can catch a best of Joan on uh, New Year's Day. And I will see you on the second. And thank you for being here today. Um, and thanks to the person who wrote the Chevy Volt is built here. Yeah, but they're doing away with it. They're abandoning it. That was what Tom had to say from Allen and Palatine. So enjoy it because it may be a collectible item soon. More next week. Happy New Year. And thanks for listening. <laughs>